It started as writing, and right from the beginning you knew this was different, because it was happening in small villages, market towns, and then it wasn't on the TV anymore. It was in the street outside. It was coming through your windows. It was a virus, an infection. You didn't need a doctor to tell you that. It was the blood. There was something in the blood. By the time they tried to evacuate the cities, it was already too late. The infection was everywhere. The army blockades were overrun. Waking up in hospital, bike messenger Jim enters the eerily empty streets of London. Finding the only humans alive, Jim and his crew find out that nowhere is safe as they make their way through the rage-infected streets in search of safety. Danny Boyle's aggressively lo-fi entry into the zombie genre is as impactful as it was 21 years ago. Uncompromising and intentionally shot through low-grade equipment, 28 days later kickstarted a pop culture craze that is still felt today. My name is Luke and with me are Matt. Okay Jim, I've got some bad news. And Westy. A man walks into a bar with a draft. They get pissed. The draft falls over. The man goes to leave and the barman says, Oi, you can't leave that lie in there. He says, Nah, it's not a lie. It's a draft. There's no government, no army, no police, no TV, no radio, no electricity. But there'll always be ATRM. Welcome to All The Right Movies, a mutated virus of a podcast on classic and hit films, full of rage. Well, Westy is. <laughs> yeah, full of monkeys. <laughs> Always. <laughs> We're on home shows this week as we talk about a modern horror movie classic. It's 28 Days Later. Mm-hmm. A big one. Yes, it, it is. Before we infect our audience with a hell of a show, Brilliant. we're going to tell you about the exclusive benefits you can get your hands on by signing up to become an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter. Mm. You've heard it before, I'm sure, but no doubt you'll want to hear it again. Yeah, of course. Don't skip it. It's the best bit for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just this bit on repeat. Just this bit, yeah, it's great. <laughs> what you're listening to now is our classic podcast. Only the most recent 20 episodes are available on general release. The rest are tucked away in our archive exclusively for our patrons. That's over 60 episodes on classic and hit films, and there are over 50 shows that we've created only for our Patreon supporters. On top of all of that, we create a brand new episode of our double feature show every month, mm. only for our patrons. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you've been adding all of that up, but there are over 110 podcasts available, and that's a figure that grows every single month. Yep. Lots of bang for your book. Loads. Just yep. why you need post-apocalyptic virus outbreak. What else are you going to do? Just listen to us. Absolutely. <laughs> if you need to hide in a bunker. Yeah. Take us you with need you. us in your ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Our following is spreading on a daily basis. So join us before the infected gets you. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. If you can support us, it really helps us continue to work on all ATRM fronts and bring you regular, unparalleled movie content. Thanks, everyone. Yes, thank you, guys. We wonder if you could have a look and check it out. Yes, please do. Very much. Okay, so back to the film. Mm. The matter at hand. Matt, this was your choice. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to talk about 28 Days Later? I feel we've underrepresented Danny Boyle a bit on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've only done sure. Train Spotting. That was a couple of years ago now. And I wouldn't say he's one of my absolute favourites. I think he's pretty inconsistent for the most part, which drags him down a bit. But at the same time, there is more to him than Train Spotting. 
And I think this is just the logical next step to talk about from him. You know, mm-hmm. this is before Shaun of the Dead. This is before The Walking Dead was on TV. And yes, we know they're technically not zombies, but for all intents and they purposes, are, yes, come they, on. Are. they are. Just admit it, everyone, they are zombies. Yeah. yeah. So this was before the resurgence, and this is the film that felt like it did reignite that genre. I think zombie films had completely fallen out of favor before this. Yeah. If he made yeah. one, it would be direct video probably. But then you had this, even though it's very lo-fi, it stars real cinematic scope, but it has this real intensity to it. And it's very, very Danny Boyle. It is very Danny Mm. Boyle. And I'm a horror movie fan. Some people may know that. So this is catnip for me. Mm. It is such a unique film for many reasons, but I still don't feel that 28 Days Later gets the credit it deserves for rejuvenating and bringing a fresh narrative to the dormant Mm. zombie subgenre. Yeah. It really highlights Danny Boyle's ability to work in any genre and make something that stands head and shoulders above most in that field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, running zombies, that's got to be a tick in anyone's box. Absolutely. Yep. It's super low budgets, empty streets of London, early performances from Naomi Harris and Killian Murphy. Mm -hmm. Very significant. Loads of things to get into. I don't believe I've talked about this film with either of you guys before, so it'll be a hell of a ride. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. And what about you, Westy, 28 Days Later? Fantastic stuff. Yeah, I mean, this was like, when I went to see it at the cinema, it was an instant cult classic. It was a cult mm-hmm. classic as soon as it was released. You're yeah. watching it going, this is a cult film, yeah. automatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how it still feels to me. It's a very exciting film. I was studying film at the time when it came out, and it's a, a film student's dream, because you're like, wow, how did yeah. they, they just did this yeah. ad hoc with yeah. you know DV cameras? Wow, anyone can, can do, do this. this. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very so exciting. Can't. And I think everyone who really loves the genre or has really loved the genre, especially Romero's Day, you know, Day of the Dead or Night of the Dead yeah, or yeah. The, the Dead films, they're desperate for something like this to be to be released, to be made, yeah. to be thought through, to be appreciated. And it does. It ticks all the boxes and it does pay homage to all of them films with a plume, I think. It's a really great modern day update and it's got this intimacy to it, which I really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it was one of the first of the horror genre that I'd seen anyway. I mean, there's probably a few before this and Luke, you'll know better than I will, but one where you really invest in the characters and you yeah. really care about these people. Very much. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very excited to talk about it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see what you guys think of it. And yeah, there's a lot mm-hmm. to get into, so let's go for it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. 28 Days Later was written by Alex Garland, produced by Andrew McDonald and directed by Danny Boyle for DNA Films and the UK Film Council. Filmed in various locations across England, it was distributed by Fox Searchlight Pictures and released on the 1st of November 2002 in the UK. Killian Murphy stars as Jim, Naomi Harris as Selena, and Megan Burns as Hannah, with solid, familiar support coming in the shape of Christopher Eccleston and Brendan Gleeson. Yep. First up, we're headed to the empty streets of London. Repent, the end is extremely fucking nigh. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting as the film does, in a dark laboratory where we learn the origins of the rage virus. We follow this stretch, which ends with Jim deserted on the streets of London. And I'm starting to ball rolling here with his scene in the lab. Mm. Nice. It's such a jarring opening with these horrific newsreel images. And I mean, the way the film is shot, it looks like we're watching grainy news footage anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. this plugs straight into what the chimp is made to watch here. This yeah. was really strange as well. When I came back to watch it, I thought it opened in London on the empty streets. I totally mm. forgot about yeah, this. Everyone forgets about yeah. this mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah. And it continues to keep you on edge with those electrodes or whatever they are, the chimp's head is tied up in the yeah. bed. Mm-hmm. And I know that Ball used some imagery from A Clockwork Orange for Trainspotting, and I feel like that's a similar thing here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think there's just something primarily unsettling about chimps in this environment. I don't mm. know if I'm alone in this. <laughs> just chimps in general. <laughs> no, just in this environment, just caged up. Genetically, they're the closest thing to humans. Yeah, so yeah. seeing them caged up just yeah. feels wrong. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, any, any animal caged up just feels wrong. But there's just an added element with chimps for some reason. Yeah. But this scene just makes me itchy. And I think that's continued throughout the rest of the film, the way it's shot. Mm. It's really, really intimate. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. almost too intimate. Mm-hmm. Well, the chimps you're talking about, there were only two troops of chimpanzees that could do the job required by Boyle for this one. Mm. And the one used on the bed for this scene, he's called Johnny, and he'd been hand-raised by his trainer since birth. And the trainer was on hand for this scene just to make sure all the chimps were comfortable and well-behaved. That's them well-behaved? Yeah. Like when it's <laughs> hammering on the glass at the end. Yeah. Oh, out. Jesus oh, Christ, Christ almighty. Yeah. 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 And they love it as well yeah. when the woman, when the girl is attacked. <sighs> But when they are let out, I mean, it really, really does shock. Mm. It's in the way that it's edited and shot in that disorientating close-up that is familiar throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think this scene sets you up perfectly for the rest of the film. Fasten your seatbelts because yeah. it ain't holding back no. this film yeah. at all. No, goes for your throat straight away. Oh, it really does. The great thing that highlights here is that the sound design may, remains consistent over fast cuts because mm. you've got the screams of the chimps and that doesn't really cut. It's just consistently no. yeah. there, yeah, that yeah, sound. Yeah. But the, you're like watching something different. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Matt, when he's pounding on the yeah. that cut oh. to nothing, that <sighs> cut to black, it just holds it just long enough. Yeah. Genius, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, what about you in this sequence, Westy? What are you going for? I'm going to go for when Jim wakes up in the hospital to him just exploring London at first. Oh, <sighs> amazing. You know, that overhead shot of him just lying in the bed. There's a lot of questions. There's been a lot mm. of people, you know, sure. piping up onto it. Could he walk? You're 28 yeah. days in a coma. You yeah. know, he's, he's, with his yeah. IV drip would have ran out. Yeah. You know, you've got to kind of suspend disbelief a little bit here. Of course you do, yeah. Those are the only questions being asked on Twitter. Why isn't it? Why do we have to see Jim in the nude? <laughs> <laughs> And as he just gets up from the bed, he's knocking things over, very disorientated. Again, we are just with him. It's almost like we're watching it as a documentary and we're following him around. Mm-hmm. And incredible how that that is so eerie. That hospital is just empty. Yeah. There's just nothing. Mm-hmm. And the way these shots are framed, there's some excellent composition, which I'll go into later on, which I think really makes this sequence. Mm-hmm. But it's just the eeriness of it. When he walks outside, it's just, every, you know, you go to a nightclub and you just come back and it's light outside yeah. and you're walking home and you're like, oh, I know how that feels. Yeah. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, it's just very reflective of the pandemic. And I think this film has become mm. massively popular again since then because it kind of hits the nail right on the head. It's It predicted it, but it predicted it so well where you're mm-hmm. watching it going, I completely understand this now. I know exactly how he feels. This is brilliant. Yeah. I think it's just fantastically done. And it's one that just sits in your mind so vividly that, like you said, there's that incredible opening sequence and it's really harrowing and it really it really punches you in the face, but mm. you forget about it automatically yeah. because of this and the grandeur of this. 
and the genius yeah. of how this is actually shot and put together. And I think Killian Murphy needs a real big nod here because there's a lot of pressure on that guy. Yeah. Hasn't really done much up to now. Yeah. Mate, mm. there's 10 cameras on you. You've got like 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes yeah. and you've got to sell this. Yeah. It could look cheesy. It, he's got to just, all the only lines he's got is hello. Mm. And if he looks yeah. around and he looks cliched and starts overplaying it or underplaying it, it doesn't mm. work. But I think he just, he measures it perfectly. Yeah, a real hospital was used for those opening scenes. Yeah. They mm. shot it on weekends because the hospital was only open Monday to Friday. I, I just don't know what kind of hospital this is. <laughs> yeah. Probably nine to five working hours yes. Monday to Friday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Famously, people don't get injured on Saturday night, do they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think all the budget goes towards funding the hospital as well, though, which is really good. So it kind of helps. Yes. Right. Yeah, nice little touch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. And it's an incredible feat that Boyle pulled off managing to film in the deserted streets or seemingly deserted streets of London. Some of the most iconic imagery from movies of mm-hmm. this century. Impossible yep. to do now. You need yep. permits left, right and centre. Oh, yeah. Christ. Yeah. So filming started at around 4am with police cordons halting all of the traffic. It didn't stop them getting some foul-mouthed abuse from drunks trying to get home and drivers on the road. Anthony Dodd-Mantle, who was the DP, said people mm. were screaming serious dissent that I won't quote. But <laughs> they did have very attractive young women who were kind of diverting the traffic. One of yeah. them was Danny Boyle's daughter, who yeah, was yeah. 19 at the time, just very politely yeah. saying, would you mind just going that way? Or would <laughs> yeah. you mind just going that way? Really. Incredibly, How did you resist that? Yeah. Incredibly, it worked. 4 a.m. Yeah. London why. cab drivers. I mean, what does that say about them, boys? <laughs> no problem, sweetheart. Yeah, absolutely. No, no Where are you going after this? <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah, and I know the original plan was to have basic carnage depicted on the street, so there's going to be mm. cars on fires, bodies just littering the place. But because they only had limited time to set up, boil device this plan to have the streets deserted instead. And mm. as Wesley mentioned, it was a 10-camera setup. And he craftily edited all that footage together to create the illusion that the whole of London was deserted. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because like outside of the frame, there were crowds yeah, and people yeah. being held back. Yeah. But it, you just cannot you tell cannot the tell way that this is put second. together. Yeah, it's incredible. And the great bit when he's crossing that bridge as well, I think that's probably one of the most oh, yeah. iconic bits. Yeah. I mean, this, the rule of thirds is just used to perfection here. Yeah, when you yeah. see that lion on one side and you see yeah. him moving over. Mm-hmm. But all the rubbish that he walks over, I mean, there's a great story that Pat Caram, the location manager, told about the scene on Westminster Bridge. And the production designer, Mark Tidsley, covered the bridge in the rubbish from early hours of the morning, spent mm-hmm. hours getting it all right. Mm-hmm. And just when they were ready to call action, the fellow who worked for the council comes into <laughs> shop with a trolley, shaking his head like, ah, oh, not again. <laughs> so that's clear. <laughs> Drunks. Oh, God, <laughs> shaking his fist. Amazing. So he starts clearing all the rubbish up from the bridge, right? So Krem went running over to him explaining, look, we're filming, and you can clean this up afterwards. We'll all help you. And the council guy's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and just get on with his job. So Krem said he thought he was going to have to throw him off the bridge to get the shot. He was that adamant. <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, and but did you know they also like had a bit of strife with Westminster Council as well? because they denied Ball's request to put, you know, that scene with the overturned bus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They denied his request to put that outside Downland Street. They insisted, no, you've got to move it up the road instead. Right, right. Okay, fine. But when they got there, because obviously the filming at 4 a.m., there was no security, so they just did it anyway, just put it no, down I was going to say, it is outside, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is outside, yeah. yeah they just did it anyway. Yeah, because they were wanting to move it up the road, yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's a great shot through it the is. window when you see him coming yeah. in that broken uh, glass. Great. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just such an incredible opening because... Somewhere like London shouldn't be that quiet and empty. Nope. It just disorientates you straight away. Like, and imagine if you're Jim, you, you've walked out of a coma into this. You must mm. be thinking, am I dead? 
is, yeah. is this the afterlife? Have I actually mm-hmm. woke Brilliant. up? It's so gripping. Like I could watch the sequence if it was like four times as long. I just love it. There's something really hypnotic about it. There really yeah. is. And if you've got like that fear of open spaces, this must be hell because Jim yeah. is just so <laughs> vulnerable here and he doesn't even know it. But it's just packed full of great little details. Like I love it when he picks the money up off the ground because yeah. you would if you're well, in that nice. situation. And he, yeah. he doesn't know that money is useless. Yeah. So as weird as the situation is, it's just not hitting home to him how bad the world is now. But it's the music that makes it for me, ah. which is Godspeed You, Black Emperor. It's so evocative and intense and scary just the way it builds and builds oh, and builds. Yeah. And then when you combine that with Jim just innocently like touching that car and the alarm just goes, bah! Oh, it's <laughs> awful, that. Every Jesus time. Christ. <laughs> too loud, that, Danny. Oh, too loud. Like, what a jump scare that is. Like, yeah. Because that's the first sound of human existence you've heard in this sequence. Yeah. And it scares the and absolute shit And it's shit a off. warning. And it's a warning. Yeah. It shouldn't mean yeah. anything, but it's a warning. And then you get Jim looking at that newspaper headline, evacuation, and Boyle holds that just long enough so you can get like a little glimpse of the headline and the story. It's like Blair orders evacuation, camp's being built, but then he switches and you, you don't get to read the whole thing, which I really like. So you're totally in Jim's headspace. And the kicker for me is when he finds that big wall of notes at Piccadilly Circus. Oh, heroin. It's yeah. heroin because it's just full of those little details that I love in films like this where you're trying to pick out what's being written mm-hmm. and just the desperation is so like palpable from these notes and it's devastating stuff and it's it's one of these inadvertent things that 28 days later taps into is 9-11 which happened right in the middle of filming it did yeah because yeah. in new york you saw people putting those posters up have you seen this person yeah and you know yeah. they're gone deep down that person knows they're gone of course, you've got but that it's just desperation isn't it it's desperation so to see that it's so powerful and then that music finally crescendos and jim is just left with reeling by everything he's mm-hmm. so incredibly well done yeah that, i mean those notes were created by one member of the crew over a three-month period wow. i mean psychologically Unreal. that must have been grim that's a bad headspace to be in like isn't, isn't it? it just Christ Jesus Christ. Christ. i'd quite enjoy that job to be fair <laughs> Give it a Westy. Yeah. Yeah. Good work if you can get it. Right there with John Doe's books in seven. I could have done that as well. Writing the old work and no play with the shining. Yeah, yeah I could do in that. In Spanish. Yeah, I could do that. This sequence backs straight into our next sequence with Jim entering a church for solace and ends with a meeting Selena and Mark. And Westy, I believe you're going to kick us off with this sequence. Yeah, why well, go to a church? It's scary already. <laughs> that opening shot, that high shot when he comes through the door, just so reminds me of the Blues Brothers at the top of the stairs. <laughs> get the penguin involved. Yeah, so. get the penguin. That would have been meant if the penguin came out with a massive stick. <laughs> and not infected, just furious. But yeah, I mean, it's just a great, great setting, isn't it? I mean, you're going to put it anywhere. You put it in the church. You're going to think yeah. that if anything's going to be all right, it's going to be all right in there. Of hopefully. Course. Yeah. That's kind of a place of solace. It's a place where nothing will go wrong, as we'll learn from Highlander. So it's always a place where <laughs> you can go. Holy ground, Highlander. Exactly. Totally safe there. <laughs> and it's that hello when he's standing there and he sees all of the bodies. And it's that hello. Yeah. And, they're, and they look up. And, and they jump up. up. That yeah. is horrific. Then, yeah. There's the noise behind the door and he keeps going towards it. And it's a classic horror trope. And yeah. I think it's done really well here because you want to know as well. You, you don't want to say run away because there's nothing to run to. There's no yeah. way to go. No. So he's going to have to investigate what's going on. 
And I don't think the guy, I mean, I haven't, I should have found out who this was who played the priest, mm. but he's fucking excellent. Mm. Oh, he knocks it out of the park. He's yeah. absolutely amazing. And think what's on his shoulders. This is the first look at the infected. Yeah. He's yeah. really got to sell this. Yeah. He's really got to show yeah. what the terror is and how, how it's going to be portrayed throughout the film. And he's got to do it all in a very short space of time. And I think he does when he's just flailing his arms. It's like he's being shot. Mm, he's yeah. like he's, and almost because of he, that he was a priest, I think it has that vibe to it where he's trying to push it down. He's trying yeah. to repel it. He's trying yeah. to move. He's trying to push himself away from Jim. It's got that kind of feel to it. And again, there's that little bit of Danny Boyle humor when he hits him with a bag. I, should, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Sorry for that. Sorry for that. Just run out. It's just a wonderful, wonderful sequence the way it sets up. Yeah, it's amazing. In the church, though, all those bodies, Jim sees, they, they aren't actually extras because they couldn't afford extras. It's so low budget. So all right. Boyle had drafted in student volunteers who were paid with cups of tea instead. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> really British, that. Isn't it? That's really yeah. British. We'll give you tea. Yeah. Now they slept there the yeah. night before, surely. Yeah. Watching <laughs> Countdown. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that chase from, from the church. Yeah. Jim doesn't know what on earth is going on. No. And I suppose we don't really, up until this no. point, we don't have too much knowledge. But I know that a group of people that are running after you with blood coming out of their eyes, you're running as fast as you can. Away yeah, from of them. course. Anyway. And that image of Jim in his hospital outfit with his carrier bag yeah. being chased by zombies on fire mm. is amazing. It is. Yeah. What an enduring image. Yeah. The thing that strikes me, though, I think the still photographer got a better shot of that than Dodd Man and Boyle you're right. did. Because <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you see it, it's like, whoa, that's an incredible shot. Yeah, wow. But you film, don't yeah. actually see that shot in the film. Yeah, 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 you're right. And that explosion is really impressive. Boom, mm. it goes up. One of the best that I've seen on film, Definitely. to be honest, for a yeah. low-budget yeah. film. It yeah. looks incredible. It does, yeah. It's like we said there about the explosion at the petrol station, but that was all planned out with the correct permits and all safety measures in check. But the police weren't notified of this, and they descended <laughs> on the scene with the fire brigade, although there was already a fire brigade there. Yeah. So after a few hours of heavy explanations, Boyle managed to get rid of them. But, I mean, I would love to have seen that. Boyle must be some boy to talk his way out of that. But the, yeah. He must be like, God, the charm, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Why have you blown up a petrol station? All he did was give them each a cup of tea and the yeah. fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but the explosion itself cost uh, was a quarter of a million quid. Wow. wow. Yeah. And then, yeah. Bear in mind the budget's eight million. Yeah. So that's I know, it's got to be the most sizable. expensive thing in the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But well worth it. No wonder it, they mean. edited it from like eight different angles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From loads of different shots. Right. Yeah. 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 And when they make it to the shop, Jim gets an explanation from Selena. Obviously, the film needs some exposition at this point. We mm, need yes. to know really what's going on. Yeah. But what I like is that what we find out from Selena and Mark is what they know, which isn't that much at all, really. Not no, really. Because no. they're going off what they've been told in the media before mm. everything went dark. They mm. know it's something in the blood. And that's all we need to know, really, mm. to set us up for the film. Yeah. Enough to yeah. understand that blood in Frank's eyes is an absolute fucking disaster. Yeah, oh, yeah. But yeah. not enough to really grasp what is actually happening, which keeps us disorientated and, and constantly playing catch up. And I really like mm. that choice in the writing. Yeah. Little breadcrumbs give you this, but not too much. Because it's great that they don't have one of them say, oh, and it came from these chimps in this lab. Yeah, yeah. don't forget yeah. that scene that don't we showed off. you at the start. <laughs> yeah, which was yeah. 10 minutes yeah. ago. Just a, pi a picture of a chimp on the front of the Daily Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It oh, was shit. him. <laughs> was Johnny the bastard. Have you seen this man? Johnny be good. <laughs> Have you seen this chimp? <laughs> 10,000 miles by our reward. <laughs> Snack size, obviously. Not. It's a low budget. <laughs> well, I think it's an appropriate point to introduce our first Patreon question. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. As this yeah. is the point in the film where we get to see the zombies in full floor. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And that is another benefit of signing up to be an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter. You can ask us a question for the films that we talk about. We'll answer them live and direct. Mm. And our first of the show comes from Robin David Hercock. How are you doing, Robin? Hello, Robin. Hello, Robin. Robin says, this movie popularized the whole running zombie thing, which featured in so many similar movies of the 2000s. Mm. Yes. Robin says he personally prefers the slow-moving dread of Giorgio Romero. Do you guys have a preference? Mm. Right. A very important detail in the film, zombies running 20 miles an hour is enough to scare anyone to death. Yep. Yes. And like Robin said, 28 Days Later was certainly the film that popularized the running zombie, adding a powerful new element to the zombie lore, but it wasn't the first, kind of like Halloween. It wasn't the first slasher, but it's the one that popularized it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nightmare City. Umberto Lenzi's effort from 1980 depicted zombies who were fleet of foot, as did 1985's The Return, Return of, of the, the Dead. Dead. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was Return that was the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, both are well worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Return's great. Nightmare City, not to be sniffed at. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. I'm not, not going to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, for Robin's question, I'm not usually one to break away from any kind of tradition. No, no. I like things. I like to remain the status quo, but I'd do prefer the running zombies. Okay. And I think I've always had an issue with the lumbering undead in films that came beforehand. Mm. Because I just think if there's a reanimated corpse coming towards you at a snail's pace, move. Yeah. And that's the end of that little problem. <laughs> done. Yeah. yeah. I think what Boyle has done here for me is create something that is genuinely terrifying, whereas I don't feel like zombies in the genre beforehand were anything really to strike fear. Right. And I think the reason that the running zombies are so effective is that Boyle cast athletes as the zombies yes, did. Yeah. yeah yeah with that kind of power mm. i mean and captured on those cameras it looks as though they're running at a million miles an hour oh, definitely so yeah. those are the most effective for me right what about you matt i think when the fast ones use well like they are here they can be so effective like Zack snyder took this for his remake of dawn of the dead which is you mm-hmm. know it's decent yeah. i enjoy that um but i think the yeah. best example after this one is train to Busan, which is the yes. korean film where they're on, on the train oh yes that i mean that's intense that is an intense yes. watch you wouldn't get that intensity for the slow moving. But I think I am going to stick old school for this because okay. I do find there's something, it just strikes a note of dread into me about how remorseless they are when they're slow because they just mm. will not stop and they will keep coming and coming and coming. And I think it's the fact that if a person did want to get you, they would run at you. But the fact that zombies don't, it kind of says there's something inhuman about that. Okay. You know, and I don't think something like Night of the Living Dead would be the same if they were running and hurling themselves at that house. I think you can build tension with these slow ones. Maybe not just one or two, but en masse, like at the end of Night of the Living Dead, when they're just all pushing against that house. Mm -hmm. I find something really quite scary about that. So fast ones, I definitely like the fact they've been made mainstream and they have the place. But in general, I would go for the slow ones. Oh, right in the middle, aren't we? Mm. Right, here we Mm -hmm. go. I think it depends on what mood I'm in for what the what film I want to watch because I think it dictates what you're going to get from the film. I think if you've got a slow-moving zombie, they're more about the human relationships mm-hmm. and the human backstories and how they feel. Yeah. And if you've got fast-moving zombies, it's more of an action mm-hmm. film and you haven't got room for that emotion. I mean, they tried to put it in here, but it's not as obvious as it is. And like Matt said, like Night of the Living no. Dead, that's all about the characters yeah. and where they're going and where they've been and how they're going to deal with it. I mean, the zombies symbolize death itself. I think that was the whole mm-hmm. point. No matter how slow it moves, it's going to catch up with you and it's going to get you eventually. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's that's more terrifying for me. And I am really partial to both. Like Matt, I love Train to Bajan, I love Wreck, I love oh, Zombieland yeah. for the, the comedy of course, yeah. element of it. Wreck is unbelievable. Yeah, it's Wreck's unbelievable. Fantastic in the way they've done it. But you just see it's it's what you don't see mm-hmm. in that film. And I think 
because you don't see them as much, it does have an exploration of the characters and you do get that emotional element of it. But they tend to put lots of them in there when they're fast. Yeah. Mm. And I would kind of like a little bit of a middle ground mm-hmm. if I could kind of break it. But I will go slow because that's what I originally okay. saw. Mm-hmm. And I think if something's just slowly moving towards you and it's mm-hmm. not going to stop, yeah. that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I would rather something just ran at us and ripped my face off and it was just done <laughs> with than just lumbering after us. And I'm just like, just leave us alone. Yeah. You know, but I am very, very partial to both. I'm going to decide on the slow, mm-hmm. but if I, in an ideal world, I'd go right in the middle and I'd like a, maybe a light jog. Or yogging, you know, yogging. the J is silent. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be wild. Yeah. <laughs> so different zombies, different needs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Different times. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your question, Robin. Yeah, it was a good Thank question. You, Thank you. You alluded to it earlier, Matt. Danny Boyle mm-hmm. argues that 28 Days Later is not a zombie movie. He doesn't like <laughs> zombie movies very much. He was inspired to make a film which was critical of society's inability to control anger and violence in the culture, mm-hmm. citing the spike in road rage incidents as a direct influence in the narrative. Uh, can, yeah, yeah. I, can you remember that? Road rage was such a massive thing in massive, the yeah, yeah, century. Yeah. yeah. It was huge, yeah. It was all the rage. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the rage virus bit of the film. Yeah. Boyle said that he wanted to capture that moment of incandescent, murderous fury that you have when you're driving a car and you just lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We've all been there. We have. Even the mm-hmm. most mild-mannered. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We've all lost it at something for just a split second. Sure thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's 4 a.m. and there's a beautiful girl telling you to go a yeah. different direction, then you're absolutely sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy with that. <laughs> what the fuck's this? Oh, sorry, love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just 10 minutes. Just, That's fine. Yeah. I'll oh, relax. You're on yeah. the meter. <laughs> As a counter to what Boyle said, Alex Garland, the writer, says it is 100% a zombie movie, which, yeah, you know, yeah. if you take away the semantics, it's a zombie film. Yeah, it of course it's a zombie film, of course it is. And over to you, Matt, mm. taking us out with this sequence. Yeah, I'm picking up after he meets Slater and Mark because despite everything that they've told Jim, our parents are gone, your parents are gone, everyone you love is gone. You can't blame Jim for saying no, I want to find out. So yeah. it's brutal when Mark says, We'll rest Saturday night, and then tomorrow we'll all go and find your dead parents together. Yeah. Because he knows. Because he knows. And yeah, he knows. You, you do. You know he's right. The best scenario Jim can hope for is finding an empty house because maybe they got out in the evacuation. But obviously that's not what he finds. And that contrast between urban London and this nice little suburban area is so striking because, mm-hmm. yeah, this is everywhere. It's got everyone. But it's that moment when Jim is climbing the stairs in his house and he gags because he can smell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh my God, the dread you get in your stomach, especially first around what is he going to find? Yeah. Like, and the really horrific thing, this is actually the best case scenario for them because the infected I didn't get so. to them and they've taken the decision in their own hands and they've taken a, a pretty peaceful way out. Yes. And the camera work is just superb. That slow reveal of the emaciated corpses because I think Boyle halted at like a respectful distance and for a respectful time. He doesn't like leer. At the cops yeah. are like, oh, this is disgusting. It's like, this is heartbreaking. Look yeah. how sad yeah. this is. And it's another sequence where I just have to mention the music. Like, I'm not religious, but Abide With Me is a really powerful piece of music. Yes, it and is. The yeah. version here, it's so quiet and low key, which makes it even more affecting. And it's the note that they've left him. We left you sleeping. Now we're sleeping with you. Don't wake Don't up. Don't wake up. Oh, oh, my God. Chilling. Chilling. Yeah. I mean, this scene right from the first view and this scene was just seared into my brain mm-hmm. and the rest of the film could be absolute dog shit and i'd still say ah but it's got that scene where jim finds his parents and it's mm-hmm. heartbreaking and oh 
incredible stuff, this. But I tell you what, that wine must have been shit. You're going to die and you leave half a bottle. <laughs> Get it finished, man. <laughs> Me as well. Well, exactly. <laughs> Matt with some poignant and thought through <laughs> words and Westy's just come and trampled all over it. <laughs> just get pissed. Yeah. Ooh, so a bleak and bloody opening to 28 Days Later, full of intrigue and identity. Mm. Yep. The director. The director of the piece was Danny Boyle. His fifth feature coming after Shallow Grave, Trainspotting, A Life Less Ordinary and The Beach. Mm-hmm. Some big hits, some big misses. He needed a hit, didn't he? He needed a hit, he yes. He needed indeed. this one yeah. to come along. So Boyle's work on the film, and I think what he does well, is taking a very, very, very lean script mm-hmm. and a straightforward narrative and mm-hmm. making it come to life visually. He did the same in Trainspotting, although that film has got much more iconography in the dialogue. Hmm. Here, there's virtually none of that. Hmm. It's all about the visuals. Yeah. Those aerial shots of Jim and Selena walking the streets tell you how alone and isolated and vulnerable they are. Yeah. That shot that you mentioned, Matt, of Jim's parents on the bed, a horrifying image. Yeah. But we know exactly what their fate was Mm -hmm. and that they died together in the relative security of each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just all in the composition. Mm-hmm. And then there's that scene where Jim evades his execution, making it out the blockade and sounding the alarm. Mm. No dialogue. It's pure visceral visual language, all aided by the rain, the edits, the shot choices and sound design. Yeah. None of that in the script. No. So to say that Danny Boyle is a great visualist, I think is very much an understatement for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alex Garland had this to say about Boyle. He said in the script, that whole sequence of Jim walking out of the hospital walking up through central London, finding all these nodes on Piccadilly Circus mm. might have been about 10 lines in the script. Yeah. In yeah. the film, it expands out to one of the more significant memorable sequences for the writer to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I praise indeed. And he's absolutely right. Oh, this, yeah. The dialogue is sparse. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very thin narrative, mm-hmm. but it's so striking visually. Yeah. Westy, what do you think about Boyle here? It's the way that he, he commands the camera and moves it and keeps it still when it needs to, to be still, like you said about that opening sequence. I mean, them shots are beautifully framed. You know, the composition is just mm-hmm. is there and it is spot on and there's not a lot of time to get that right. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he knows how important that is. If that composition's off, it's ruined. It's There's no <laughs> point. Yeah, exactly. So he knows how important that is. But the thing that really sticks out for me when I was watch, when I watched the film again is that discussion between Jim, Selena, and Mark, where Mark's given his backstory of how oh, his parents yeah. died. Mm-hmm. And the camera is moving. It's yeah. just moving to each person. Yeah, and it's yeah. behind mm-hmm. Selena, almost like you're in her head yeah. and Mark. And it's such an intimate scene mm-hmm. where you could just have cover. He's got 10 cameras. We know he's got 10 cameras. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah, got yeah. them. So you've got them there. You could, just, you could just put three cameras, one on each of them, and just yeah. say, right, there you go, and then, <laughs> and then cut it between them. But he decides to put one on a steady cam and move it where he needs to move it and move it back. Mm. And it's that attention to detail and that visual language that he does. And I think it's that low budget feel that everyone now is like, why does it look like that? Mm. Why does it look like that? Why is it like that? It's an artistic license that he's got and that he sticks to his guns with it. Mm. It's very confident. It's very solid. The direction in this, he knows exactly where the camera's going and exactly where the actors are going. Yeah. Left, right, doesn't matter. It's choreographed to perfection. Yeah. I mean, you can give him an iPhone now and he'd make an incredible film. Yeah. yeah. He's just yeah, got he that look. And he reminds me of like, he's like a British Soderbergh in that kind yeah, was, of respect. I was thinking very Soderbergh. Much. 
yeah. where you would just give him a camera and say, make something out of that, even mm. if it's just three people sitting in a shop and you need to get intimacy, and he does it. And that's what Boyle brings to this. And it's not just a couple of scenes, mm-hmm. it's every scene. Yeah, so at the top, it's very, very Danny Boyle. And I said that because I think he's at his best when he's got a challenge to push mm. back against, like train spotting. Danny, you can't turn this book into a film. Watch me, yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. yeah, he's so creative with restriction, isn't that's he? That's it, that's it. 127 yeah. hours. Danny, you can't make a film about a guy stuck under a rock for five days. I can, and I'm can, going to, yeah. and watch how good it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to see what a nerve sounds like when it gets cut? Yeah, <sighs> exactly. Watch this. I'm going to show you this. <laughs> yeah. Christ. Yeah. And I think for this, any other director, you said to them, I want you to make an apocalyptic zombie film set in a completely deserted London for £8 million, they'd go, not a chance. Nah. Not yeah. for that amount. But it's exactly what Westy says there. This is what Boyle does. He just comes alive with solutions and creative ideas. Like, how are we going to show this deserted London? We're just going to get up really early and we're going to work mm-hmm. fast. And that's what I get from this film, a huge sense of pace in every scene, you know, no pun intended with the zombies. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but I imagine he did three or four takes of a scene, tops, and then he just moved on because he yeah, didn't have the does, time. Yeah or the money to waste on yeah. big setups or take after take after take. Like that shot where Jim walks past the upturned bus, they had 20 minutes to get it on its side, shoot it, and then get get it back up again. Jesus 20 Christ. minutes. Other directors would have a breakdown about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, that would take you 10 minutes to tip over. Yeah, exactly. And put back up. So yeah. you must have had four minutes to shoot two shots. Yeah. 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 And again, what's that on Killian Murphy? But I mean, it must be that confidence that Boyle's given him being like, I know you've been in nothing else, yeah. but just do this. Honestly, yeah. it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about Boyle. Like, apparently he is a good guy to work with. And I can just imagine he's quite an inspirational guy in these situations. I yeah. get the impression he's really good at getting the best out of everyone and getting mm. everyone like pumped up and energetic and believing they can deliver in these like compressed time schedules that they've got to work with. And I think it just infests the whole film with this urgency. You know, the narrative flies along. Jim wakes up, meets Mark and Selena. Mark's out of there. They meet Frank and Hannah. They go up north. It doesn't yeah. pass the breath. And it flies. Flies it by. And the yeah. attack scenes have such ferocity to them, Ooh. such an edge. Mm-hmm. And again, it's Boyle because he's not dwelling on it. He's not over-directing it. He's just getting them done. Don't overthink anything. Mm-hmm. Just get into it. And yeah. it just becomes pure Danny Boyle, you know, fuck you, Hollywood. I can do what you do on a tenth mm-hmm. of the budget. Yeah. yeah. Boyle said that not having the money can be a problem or it can be a kind of freedom. And for yeah. us, it was a freedom. I suppose, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The virus in the film, part of the inspiration for that was from, do you remember the Ebola outbreak that happened in Uganda about 2000? Oh, yes. Yes, yes indeed. Because the symptoms for that include rashes, hemorrhaging and reddened eyes. And this was actually later expanded on when they did a graphic novel, 28 days later, the aftermath, in that mm-hmm. theorized that Ebola was, was a carrier, which had then mutated into the rage virus. And also hydrophobia, which is the fear of water, mm. as a result of rabies, was a big influencer. Mm. They took inspiration from photos of the 30s, showing rabies victims with utter terror in their eyes when being approached by a bowl of water. Mm. This look was transferred directly into the film. Yeah, you can visualise that with the look in the eyes of those mm-hmm. zombies. Yeah, Every close-up, yeah. yeah. Every close-up, absolutely. To add to the realism in the film, Alex Garland said that images from news footage was deliberately referenced throughout Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he said the gas station explosion was based on a bombing in northern ireland the bodies in the church were an image from a rwandan genocide right Mm -hmm. when jim's taken out to be executed was modeled on a shot taken in bosnia yeah and when he picks up the money in the streets it was based on quite a famous image from cambodia in the 70s when the Khmer rouge abandoned capital phnom penh and the streets were awash with money right yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. there was the mother and the baby as well in the gas station that was that was another one yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
and although the scene at Piccadilly Circus with the missing photos, like you mentioned, Matt, mm-hmm. it eerily taps into nine eleven. Yeah, it was based on the aftermath of an earthquake in China originally. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Boyle said if he did it after nine eleven, he wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't have shot that sequence. No. Not surprised. No. Not yeah, surprised. Surprised in the No. And I think. Because of that, there's a great narrative flow which comes down to this thematic consistency in the film's imagery throughout. Mm-hmm. And to wrap us up on Danny Boyle, we have our second Patreon question. This time it is from Dwayne Colovet. How are you doing, Dwayne? Hello, Dwayne. Hello, Dwayne. Dwayne asks, if Danny Boyle hadn't directed this film, who else do you feel could have done an interesting job of it? Mm. Westy. At the time? Mm. So we're talking 2002? Well, whatever you want. Right, okay. Well, I went for at the time. I don't know why I double checked. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's what yeah. I've done. Um, <laughs> Phew. <laughs> thank, oh, thank goodness. Um, yeah, I mean, I would have gone, I've mentioned it before, but I think Steven Soderbergh would have done something in pretty interesting okay. with this. Yeah. Uh, probably used a similar camera, similar setup, similar vibe. Uh, Shane Meadows around the time, mm-hmm. early 2000s, Dead mm-hmm. Man's Shoes came out in 2004 and that's, incredibly english and this yes, is incredibly yeah. english yeah. it's very very, very much, much like so. this is it's still like this now it's not get caught anymore um, yeah. spike jones would have done a pretty interesting yeah. take on Ooh. it i think in early 2000s i think yeah, he was very much he was, he was quite exciting at that point and then to go any bigger you'd probably just go ridley scott wouldn't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like, why not there yeah. you are you know at that point yeah give it to ridley scott that gas station would have been the whole of london <laughs> <laughs> eight million just on that explosion yeah. probably but yeah I, I would have said soderberg if i have to pick one yeah. okay very nice hmm. matt what about you yeah i did also think shane meadows i think you watched dead man's shoes so it was the vigilante yeah. horror would have been really interesting to see him take his spin on a zombie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ken Loach would have made a proper socialist horror film. All <laughs> the zombies Lodge. are dead miners attacking 10 down in street. <laughs> that would have been good. Grabbing all the Thatcher, gnawing down on her. Uh, Bit of revenge. Um, lovely. And then if you went American, I think maybe the other Spike, Spike Lee, he could do something pretty interesting, I think. He would maybe right, go okay. like New Orleans setting, kind of oh, talking to the voodoo background. So yeah, maybe Spike Lee for a proper answer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Brilliant. I'm surprised that neither of you came up with the two names that I've come up with. Okay. Okay. Did it say David Fincher and Louise Guzman? <laughs> William Friedkin. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Friedkin, Billy Brian De Palma. Uh, uh, Do I need to say any more? No. Just Guzman. Make, make him direct. <laughs> <laughs> Stars directs, right? No, but I always impose these kind of rules on myself without them being in the question. So I'm thinking, yeah. right, okay, so who's going to direct? So it's got to be around the time and mm-hmm. it's got to be British. Okay, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why I do it. I know. So that's where I was. But I wouldn't change Danny Boyle to begin with. I'll no. just disclaim no, her first off. Yeah, but the enough. schedules didn't align. I would like to see Ben Wheatley. I know oh, it was okay. a little before yeah. his time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his style would fit, I think. I think shout. he might have brought a little bit more darkly comic humor to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. But if you're unconvinced, just watch Kill List. Yeah. yeah. And bringing it even closer to home, mm. Neil Marshall, I think, would sit in the director's chair quite uh, comfortably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, he would. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's the same year he made his debut feature, Dog Soldiers, and three years, personal favourite, The Descent. The oh, Descent, yeah. yeah. Imagine that 28 days later, then The Descent. Woo. After Dog Soldiers, that would be yeah. a massive <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Quite One trio. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'd be happy with either of those, although the finished article might have been slightly different. Just a little Certainly bit. different with Ken Loach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit out there, but you know, I'm sticking with a it. A little it bit work. out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, as it turns out, it was Danny Boyle who delivered something outstanding on 28 Days Later. Yes, and did. I'm going to sign off here by a great quote from the big man himself. Mm. 
He said, it's not that interesting just to sit within the genre. You've got to be trying to do something with it that maybe hasn't been done before. Yep. And I think he succeeded on that score for sure. Absolutely did. The cast. A talented cast in the lead roles of 28 Days Later, both Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris would go on to forge impressive careers over the next 20 years. Westy, who have you picked out in the cast? I've picked out Killian Murphy. Yes. Great, great performance, as we've touched on. Very yeah. important performance. I mean, he's got to carry the whole thing. Mm. He's got yeah. to carry the start. Like we've already said, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on his shoulders. You see a real trust with Danny Boyle here. You can see a real connection. I think he's very, very electric on screen. I think his mm. charisma with everyone else that he acts with on screen is fantastic. You know, it's got a real star persona here. And I think it's just a matter of time before that explodes, you know, forgive the pun, but it's just <laughs> before he was to become greater, you can see it. And I yeah. don't think he's actually at his potential here. I think he's close to it. Mm-hmm. And the character goes to places, which we'll talk about at the end of the film. But I think because of his performance, I think it makes that believable. You kind yeah. of buy it. You kind of buy that he'd just be that fucking angry that he would. He has that physicality to it. It's not completely unbelievable. I think he brings that to it. It's really measured, really well thought through, and a really believable character. And he's just very, very good, very believable. And he's got to be the audience. He's mm. got to be us. He's our yeah. confusion. Confused, he's finding yeah. out. He's scared. He's finding his way through all of these places as we are, and you want to go with him. And I think that's his charisma and that's his personality. Mm -hmm. And that's, like I said, like a superstar kind of persona in the making that you want to follow him around and that he puts all of this on his shoulders and still makes it believable now. I think it's a really, really brilliant, brilliant performance. Mm. Yeah, he's a fantastic performance. I think there's, well, there's not much humor in the film. No. No. But I think it's darkly funny when he's attacked at his parents' house and he can't believe his eyes, he says, it's Mr. Bridges. Yeah. yeah. There's four doors down. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like short of the dead, that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Mark does. Yeah. yeah. Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. Yeah. Oh, no. But Kelly Murphy wasn't first on the list. It was Ewan McGregor, who'd worked with Boyle on Trainspotting, yeah, obviously. Of course. But they had a falling out over the beach, which I think yeah, McGregor was meant to be casting. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Lucky Leo got the job. Yeah. 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 So they didn't really speak for a while, so he was out of the picture. And then Ryan Gosling was next on the list. Wow. But I think there was scheduling problems and that didn't align. And that could have been incredibly interesting. Could have been yeah, interesting. Have been really interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I really like Gosling. No, I love, I love Gosling, yeah. 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 I know though as well as those two, James McAvoy auditioned for the part when he was a complete unknown. Right. But when he went in, he actually found out he was auditioning for zombie part, not the lead. Right. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how he thought he was going in for the lead. No, he was zombie. <laughs> and Boyle asked him to do a backflip during the audition because McAvoy had on his CV that he could do acrobatics. So he did the backflip, right. still didn't get the part <laughs> of a zombie. <laughs> I mean, what, what were they looking for? Which zombies doing backflips? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it should have gotten John Claude Van Damme if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> the casting process for 28 Days Later was very specifically geared towards unknowns in the lead roles. Yes. Obviously, Christopher Eccleston and Brendan Gleeson were familiar faces mm-hmm. and saw Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris now, but at the time they had only a handful of small parts and were basically unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. Boyle said, we did that because we didn't want any stars in it. We wanted it to be just ordinary people. These kind of films benefit from people who are not superstars so that you have an immediate sense that everybody's dispensable. Yes, very much so. Which comes across really well. It does. It's difficult in retrospect because it's Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reflection of how good they are as performers that they went on to have this career. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But a great performance from Murphy showcasing what we would get from him as an actor for the next 20 years. Yeah. 
Matt, what about you in the cast? Who's your pick? Well, I'll go with Naomi Harris for a lot of the similar reasons. You know, you looked at mm-hmm. now, she's great in Moonlight a few years ago. Really enjoyed yes. it. was Money Penny in the Daniel Craig yeah. Bond films. She's really yeah. good in those. Oh, yeah. So it's very much like Killian Murphy. It's like, ah, there's a star in the making. Very much. But it's what Boyle says, as unknowns, they're so effective because they've mm-hmm. just got the everyman persona about them still. And I think she's really good here. She does sell that idea of someone who's been through hell in a very short amount of time. Yeah. You know, she's battle-hardened already. That speech about if someone gets infected, could be your brother, could be your sister, you've got between 10 and 20 seconds to kill them. And she tells Jim, if it happens to you, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Completely believe that. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. especially when you, yeah. you see she does it to Mark, who should spend a whole mm-hmm. lot more time with. Yeah. And it's that same survival instinct when they meet Frank and Hannah, doesn't want to team up with them because they'll only slow her down. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, she's very selfish, but I'm always on her side. And I think House's performance carries that. You know, she's very mm-hmm. likable. And I yes. think she's probably got the best speeches to deliver. Like when she tells Jim what the infection was like, it wasn't on the TV anymore. It was in the street mm-hmm. outside. It was yeah. coming through your windows. That's brilliant. That yeah. puts it in your head. It's really haunting. Yeah, it is. Very visual. Yeah, really visual. And it's the same when she says to Jim, you're thinking you'll never hear another piece of original music again. I'll see a film mm. that hasn't already been shot. You know, she just lives that dialogue really well. Although it's funny when he goes, mm, that's what you were thinking. <laughs> like, he's not quite as dour as her, which I like. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can tell, so just build up this protective shell. But obviously, as the film progresses, you see the vulnerability underneath. You know, she really takes a Hannah, particularly after Frank is killed. And when yeah. they realize what the soldiers want them for, you know, I just want her to be okay. She's going to do everything she can to look after her. And yeah. But you do also get that really funny moment where they've stopped on the way and she tells Jim not to go in the roadside cafe for cheeseburgers. And he just mutters, it's like, go on holiday with your fucking aunt. Like, <laughs> she plays it just right. She's a little bit of a pain in the arse about things. Yeah. It, but but yeah. she's doing it for the right reasons. But she's doing it for the right reasons, yeah. I think yeah. it's a really, really spot-on performance from House. I really like her in this. Yeah, great. I love how she moves and acts without fear or love or remorse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's battle-hardened, like you said, yeah, in yeah. a very short space of time. Yeah. And... Great hair. Oh, hair's oh, amazing. Hair. Incredible. Yeah. She does have a couple of lines that are go, she didn't need that. She okay. delivers them all right. She, it's when she does them, you know, the monologues you were talking about, yeah. you know, the big mm-hmm. speeches, she's wonderful. Yeah. But when they first go into the flat and she's like, it's the infected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then I when she sees that. the rats and oh. she's like, they're running from the infected. It's like, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't need to do that. Is yeah. everybody yeah. listening to yeah. this? Come on, guys, you know. It's almost like she stops the whole film and turns to the camera and yeah. she's like, just to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> the infected is still out there. Yeah, I think it would be miles better if, you know, them lines weren't in it, but she does yeah. the best with them, I guess. Yeah, she does. So Naomi Harris and Boyle, because she's so battle-hardened, they developed a backstory for Selena. So she lived mm. with her parents who became infected. She had to kill them to protect her baby brother, but then she found out that her baby brother was also infected, so she had to kill him as well. <sighs> Grim. Oh, wow. shit, look. Grim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. I don't think we need that backstory visually. Or no, even, not visually. No, 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 no I don't want to say that. No, and, no, 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 no. And I don't think we need to hear that either. No, no I think Marx is enough to yeah. kind of set the tone. I think if she'd come with that as well, you would find it hard to trust the character because you think that she's on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't yeah, really trust her, her mentality. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's enough the way she kills Mark and then just, just yeah. she's hacking him with a machete. Yeah. And then she yeah. turns to Jim and goes, Did any of that get in your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did, Did any of it get uh, in yeah. yours? Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. You've redecorated the kitchen. You maniac. 
I actually think Harris is overlooked when it comes to badass horror movie characters, considering yeah. she hasn't really made this genre her go-to. No, she true. puts in a, a really memorable performance for mm, me. Yeah, definitely. The final person on the cast list is Megan Burns as Hannah, yeah. and that's who I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be too harsh on Megan Burns. No. But I am very surprised that Boyle cast her, to be honest. Yeah. Her delivery leaves so much to be desired. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if her dialogue was looped in because it seems strangely out of place in the mix, mm-hmm. which doesn't yeah. really help her cause either. She does portray the resourcefulness of her character well. She can fix a flat tire in a heartbeat and drive the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But unfortunately for me, I, I feel like this role has been miscast. Yeah. That stretch when she's high at the end. Yeah. I don't see any difference in her performance no. then or in the first two acts. No. She's yeah. sleepwalking through the whole thing. Yeah. I'm fine, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> and I think the emotion that we should feel at her losing her dad is completely absent in the film. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a misstep. Yeah. Maybe Boyle took it out because it just didn't play. Yeah, you get it yeah. more from Selena and Jim talking about it. How do you think you she do. feels? Yeah. She's yeah, lost her yeah. dad. Yeah. And yeah. You feel more from their emotion than mm-hmm. you do from hers. Yeah. Well, it was only a, a second feature. Her debut was in a Stephen Fraser drama called Liam, which had come out in 2000. And then yeah. she only appeared in one other film after this as well, which was in 2018 called Intruders. So she didn't really do the acting thing. Instead, she focused on music and she performs under her goth pseudonym, Betty Curse. Yeah. Yeah. Go. She obviously doesn't have the chops, I suppose. Mm. And, and I don't really want to go on about her performance. Some people just aren't born stars or born performers. No. And she did come under quite a a flack for her performance, including some very unkind things. She said, I started to feel a little embarrassed and I started to feel guilty like I let the film down. Mm. She said there were people who'd somehow found my personal email address and they'd send emails and refer to me as the cancer on the film industry. Yeah, what? I mean, it's outrageous. It that despicable. is horrific. That's yeah. disgusting. Particularly hurtful, that, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, that's absolutely disgusting. I don't think our performance is anywhere near to warrant that level of reaction yeah. at all. I think Boyle no. Caster, because she seems very ordinary. Mm. She just seems like a normal person mm-hmm. with an ordinary yeah. delivery. I'm not just not bothered about anything. Well, you know, she might just have that kind of mental state. You know, you can address it any way you want to. But you can, just, yeah, yeah, you can spin it if you wanted that she's been through trauma. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely bilious for people to think they've got any fucking right to do that. It's absolutely yeah. disgusting. Yeah, I would counter that the people saying that to her. They are the cancer. Yeah. Well, they are. Yeah. yeah. Horrific. I, I can't, like, defend the performance too much. It, it is quite poo. It's not great. But what I would say is this film she made a debut in, she did win an award for that at a mm. Italian film festival as, as most promising newcomer. Okay. And I would say this film's got such a low budget, and I don't know for sure, but I can imagine they didn't spend that much on the casting. Because if you're no. doing auditions after auditions after auditions, you're paying your casting director day after day after day. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be spiced if they looked at that and went, oh, she's the right age, she's just won an award for Prompts and Newcomer. We've, yeah. got two days, we've got two days of auditions. If she's the best, we'll have her. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you've got to think, how much like support did she get during this film? Because did Boyle and the producers do the due diligence? Because it's okay to say that she's won an award or whatever, but... This is going to be a pretty heavy, intense, fast-moving production. It's very different mm-hmm. to a Stephen Frears film. It's certainly different to a Frears yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel she kind of got abandoned or looked, or just looked aside a little bit in this. And I think mm-hmm. the people up the chair need to look at themselves a little bit and think, did they give her the support that she needed? Yeah, it does feel like it, she's kind of on her own. And she's got Brendan Gleeson, Killian Murphy, yeah. Naomi Harris. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She's acting with them three. Yeah. I mean, 
I think you'd be hard pushed not to look shit with them three at <laughs> that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really think a lot of it's her fault, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, no, she's not great, but I do feel sorry for her because if you're 15 and you've been casting a Danny Boyle film as one of the leads, you're not going to say you no. You should be like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just turned out to be a really sad experience for her. Which is basically exiled her from the from the industry. Yeah, so it, it was a bad decision all around for everyone involved, and so yeah, that, that's why I can't get too harsh on it because I just I, I just feel bad for her because it didn't work out. Yeah, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's particularly here in that story. Yeah. I mean, Jesus I mean, Christ, nobody 16, deserves that. I mean, yeah, I know. No, but overall. Hmm. A great cast oh, yeah. with the two leads, particularly proven this. Yes. Acting chops well before their time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No surprise they've gone on a huge success since. This episode of All The Right Movies is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work and not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who have seen what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to all ATRM listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash ATRM. That's betterhelp.com slash ATRM. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of All the Right Movies. The Middle. The second act picks up where we left off. Jim has his first face to face encounter with the infected and hits the streets with Selena. That is until they see some lights in the distance and meet some survivors. Yep. And what I like here is the opening to this stretch. Again, it's the visual language. We don't need an explanation about the piled-up shopping trolleys. No. It's left to our imagination, the horrors that have taken place to make this barricade. Yeah. And it puts in mind kind of the resourcefulness of the human race in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. But when the infected strike, this barricade does nothing to stop them. No. Showing how much their work has been in vain and highlighting that resistance is pretty much futile. Yeah, really hard to do nowadays because you have to put a pound in to get them, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of social commentary from yourself there, Westy. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I do love the way that this is edited, and that goes for all the attack scenes. Quick cuts, close up shots. Don't linger on the affected too much to the film's benefit. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for the post production here. Editing is swift and merciless, much like the infected and the sound design of those shrieks mm-hmm. send shivers. Yeah. 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 Really effective stuff. And then a knight in shining armor, a mute knight in shining armor at the top of the stairway. Quite literally, yeah, great. Yeah. Frank doesn't move like the infected, but his hack and slash mm. approach is really effective. Yeah. And we don't expect this cuddly, mild mannered dad behind this killing <sighs> no. machine facade. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> great, Such a it? lovely guy. <laughs> a wonderful reveal. Yeah. What a relief to see yeah, Brendan Gleeson, yeah. an ATRM favourite, no doubt. Absolutely. Really is. He just brings such comfort, doesn't he? Like, oh, oh, this guy can survive. 
I can survive. And I think yeah. I'll be all right with him around because it, it's like you said, Luke, it's the details for me when they do find Frank and Han and you realize how they've been surviving. Mm-hmm. And however, there's someone doing like when they go into their flat, I'm like, I know that place from like my friend's yeah. house from like yeah, back yeah. in the eighties that had that one. Yeah. that had that so furniture. So familiar, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It it's really just is. This porky little place, but it's all the furnishings and it's just so familiar. Like the you creme said. de month. The, well, that's <laughs> it. Got a creme de month. Got some visitors around. Get the creme de month out. We want to bake this out for special occasions. But you do it. It's, it's just such a welcoming like scene. This like bless Frank. He's trying to make it so cozy, oh. and it's just these little details like using the Christmas lights to light up the flat and signal for help because that's the mm-hmm. only thing they can use. And yeah. it's such like a, a contrast, isn't it? Like the hell of outside, and then you've got these lights playing like Frosty the Snowman or whatever it is yeah. in the background, and that collection of buckets on the roof to collect the rainwater because the yeah. the water tank is empty. They've used all the systems. This is the only source of water they've got left. Like, it's just all these mundane, everyday items, but this is what they need for survival. And this is how badly things have fallen apart. And same with, like, Frank, that message, it's just on this little tiny wind-up radio. Mm-hmm. It's just all these little things that you would just overlook in normal, everyday life. But in this situation, you have to rely on them to survive. Yeah, that scene on the rooftop's great, isn't it? I mean, yeah. all them buckets. I mean, Boyle yeah. asked for 100 buckets. Right. which wasn't enough. And then they had to get, wow. then he wanted a thousand by the afternoon. So they had yeah. two hours to go out and get a thousand buckets, which is why there's some laundry baskets in there with holes oh, in right. baskets with the holes <laughs> in Pointless. them. <laughs> but he's talking about them um, bits of plastic that he's put over yeah. to get the, uh, the, the precipitation from the ground. Yeah, yeah, but that yeah. doesn't work because it's over tarmac. It needs to be over soil. So it gets the oh, moisture right. from the ground oh, and then catches it. Wow. You need me around if this shit save one. You'd been there, Westy. Could have uh, <laughs> saved another problem. <laughs> yeah, me and soil. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, Westy and that. mulch. Yeah, once you get the mulch in, this house off the roof. <laughs> and you know how they're trying to collect the water on the roof. I think one of the really, really good visual aids that Boyle puts in, like the preservation of life, is how they've kept the water in the fish tank and the fish is still alive. Yes. And yes, they're they desperate are. for water and there's yeah. that close-up yeah. of it. I think that's a yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah, once yeah, it keep is. the life of Hannah no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. just to keep things cheery, that, just yeah. to keep hope. things as normal as that, possible. Yeah, a bit of hope, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The film was shot pretty much sequentially in 2001 and they were filming this scene at Frank and Hannah's flat the night of the 9-11 attacks. Right. Yeah. And obviously the mood was very somber despite yep. kind of, you know, everybody together. Yeah. What about you with this sequence, Westy? What do you want to talk about? I like it when they're busting out of there. They hear the thing on the radio, they make a decision where they're going to go, how they're going to get oh, yeah. there. And I love the fact he's got that black cab. Yeah. It's just really funny. Making jokes. Yeah, yeah. It's, just yeah. Really, it's, a really, it's the lightest part of the film, and it I really is. love this bit. Yeah. It's like a road trip. They're going away. It's like, yeah, they've packed everything up. Here we go. It's quite positive. For like, we're going somewhere. We've got a mission now. We've got a real purpose. We've got somewhere to be. And they're just, when they pull up in front of that tunnel, and you think, mm. no, oh, no, yeah. don't, don't do that. Just don't do don't it. Do yeah. it. It's a brilliant shot as well, just that, yeah. from that high angle. Yeah. And yeah. that darkness, and then there's black. the black cab yeah. with the black of the darkness. You know, they're going in there. We're not going to see them. We're not going to see where they're going to be, how it's going to play out. And you'd normally roll your eyes at this. Mm. Oh, they've got a flat tire. Mm. But it's 100% mm. believable. It is yeah. plausible. Go, yeah. Oh, and it's it's Gleason's reaction when he's like, oh, shit. And then yeah. Jim actually says what we all think, oh, to the world's worst place to get a flat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, we're going to have to do it quickly because that would happen. Yeah. I mean, they're incredibly lucky they just got one flat tire. Yeah. Yeah, which which yeah. is you know two would be screwed. Yeah, yeah it's the build of tension here. 
do you hear that? Oh, Christ. Yeah. And we're like, what? Do you mm-hmm. hear what? Yeah. And then the rats just turn up. Yeah. And you think, right. And then, you know, you get that bit of exposition from Selena. Oh, they're running from the infected, yeah. which I think we kind of need at that point because you think, <laughs> right, here we go. And then it's the silhouettes and the way mm. they're just painted oh, on the walls. Christ. And they're coming in and you can hear them. And it's just this pandemonium. But the thing that really strikes me in this sequence is the editing. It's just so jarring, so mm. fast paced. Yeah, it is. And it builds beautifully without it being some kind of eye roll. You know, you know the tension's going to build, but you've just seen Mark get wiped out. You've just met these guys. Yeah. Anyone's now fair game. Yeah. And it could mm-hmm. be anybody at this point, which really works and really ramps that tension up. But it's like an F1 pit stop, isn't it? The amount of speed <laughs> yeah. that Hannah yeah, changes yeah, yeah. this tire. <laughs> but you can believe that Brendan Gleeson could lift a black car. I totally believe Absolutely it. could, yeah. yeah. For, yeah. Forget the jack, and he's whoop, yeah. it's up there, right? And it's just, just like, <laughs> and then she starts counting down, and you're just going, right, come on, come on, come on. And then they hit the ground, and then we're away. The one thing I don't like is Jim's just really, really confident. He's like, like, oh, I was sticking the V's up. Good, ah, fuck off. Yes, yes, man. People going to recognize that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like just running away from some away fans, like in a a football game. I was like, fuck off, mate. Yeah, 3 3 1, or whatever whatever they say. (laughs) Penalty shootout. (laughs) But I I really, really love the end of this sequence where the infected just stopped running. Yeah, I think that's really, really good. And yeah. just despondent, just going, yeah. oh, right? Yeah. Okay, next yeah. thing until they're, they're obviously waiting for something else to to grab their attention to run at. I think it's the single most terrifying scene in the film. Mm. Those shadows of the infected oh, engulfing yeah. in the darkness is just is an incredible shot. Yeah, it's unreal. And I think though, what comes after this is important because it's such a grim film. But then you get the mm. scene, and every time I watch this scene, it just makes me smile. And it's when they raid the supermarket. It's yeah. a joy. It's a joy. It's it's the one bit of pure light relief you get in the film because mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone who has thought about what they would do if they were in this scenario will all thought, oh, I'd, I'd raid a supermarket like, I'd help myself. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd get the best bottle like of whiskey. Commando, isn't I could, it? yeah. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I love the little touch he does when uh, on the way out, he just leaves his uh, bank card. He's credit card, yeah. On the service, uh, yeah. On the yeah. service desk, that's really good. And again, just another example of how good the soundtrack is, like, such a mixture of songs and styles mm. in this film. There's classical music, there's hymns, there's Godspeed You Black Emperor, there's original stuff, and then there's AM one eighty by Granddaddy, which is this really yeah. like upbeat little indie rock team, but it fits so well yeah. to this scene. Yeah, it does. I really it like does. that scene. Do you not feel like that supermarket's pretty well stocked? Well stocked on electricity. Yeah. And electricity, yeah. It's, I mean, it every light's working. Yeah. Every yeah. shelf's full. Yeah. It's I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, should have been raided belief. before then, really. Yeah, yeah, it feels a bit like a dream sequence, which I, I guess might yeah. be intentional. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Well, I do like it when um, Frank sees the apples, which haven't decomposed at all compared to every other bit of fruit and veg. Yeah. He just goes, mm-hmm. ah, irradiated. Yeah, like yeah it's like it's like space. Yeah. That's that <laughs> yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so with our heroes tooled up and ready for action, here comes our third and final Patreon question. Okay. And this is from Vicky. Hello, Vicky. Hello, Hello Vicky. Vicky. Vicky says, have any of you guys thought about preparing a go bag, i.e. something to grab in the unlikely event? And if so, Mm. what's in your go bag? Mm. Matt, Mm. what is in your go bag? Well, you know, I'm famously handy with a blade, so I'd definitely take a kitchen knife. Yeah, sure. Sure. Matt yeah, the Blade Bartley. Yeah, Blade. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. That's how I'm known us in the street Matt to see him. the Butcher Bartley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, kitchen knife. Obviously, you got to take some water, something to eat. And I do always like to have a book on the go. So I would definitely take something to eat because there's going to be a lot of downtime in this situation. Sure. I'm going to need something mm-hmm. to do. So I'll take something pretty hefty. The stand or eight or something like that. 
Oh, mm-hmm. a big meaty Stephen King couple yeah. of novels. Like I say, I'm going to have a lot of time to on my hands mm-hmm. to do some reading. Yeah, I love how <laughs> you just said something to eat. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> yeah. Sunday, <laughs> Sunday dinner. <laughs> Sandwich. Just pour, pour some fucking gravy in your bag. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll stick with the four pack of pot noodles. You know, there handy. you go. What yeah. flavour? Uh, chicken or mushroom, always. Fair point. And you need boiling water, otherwise you're fucked. That's even dry. You're going to get boiling water. You're going to eat them dry, man. (laughs) What, just soy sauce? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Westy, what's in your go bag? Well, thankfully, I've thought about this. So, none of this pot pot noodle shit. Right. (laughs) None of this running shit. Number one, water. Necessity. Okay, a six pack of Snickers. Okay. Like Snickers. Gone in a day. Mm -hmm. A lighter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good idea. Need that bread knife, just in case of sandwiches, because you need to cut the bread. And there's nothing worse than a loaf, and you're just ripping it trying to make yeah, sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. disgusting. Yeah. Twenty Marlboro Lights, obviously. <laughs> a copy, of, a copy of the Road by Cormac McCarthy. Right, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Heinz beans and sausages, six tins of, <laughs> and a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> a crossbow. Fancy yourself yeah. a crossbow, do you? <laughs> you never see me with a crossbow. It's gonna blow up in your face, Westy. <laughs> <laughs> no arrows, just a crossbow. <laughs> Just fire Molly Light out of it. Wow. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we're going to survive this, to be honest, considering <laughs> our contents are yet. I don't think I want to. How big's Westy's bag? He's got a crossbow in there. <laughs> no, he's got it on his back. I'll uh, sling that on my back. Uh, he's like John Rambo. Right. Yeah, it's more of a fanny pack. Okay, well, I'm going to pack some toffees or some boiled sweets to start off. They're going well, to last forever. All right, well, Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Werther's Originals, <laughs> Sarsaparilla tablets, rhubarb uh, and custards, something mm-hmm. like that. They're going to give you that much needed boost. Mm-hmm. I think Selena's got the right idea with the machete. Mm-hmm. I think Ash's boomstick from Evil Dead or his chainsaw arm attachment is tempting, but you need other resources to maintain them. So the machete True. or a meat cleaver mm-hmm. is the weapon of choice for me. Nice. Or maybe even that hunting knife from First Blood because it comes with a fishing line and a compass and a sharpening stone. No, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Take both, just yeah. to be safe. Yep. Maybe a small musical instrument to while away the lonely hours. Right. Harmonica. Harmonica. Just, harmonica. Yeah. just play the river. Flute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's Luke? Let's just listen. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> and I'm looking at a little simple pleasures here. Some cutlery. I'm not likely to be able to wash my hands, so if I'm going to be eating something, I want to do it civilised. Fair okay, one. Yeah, fair enough. Some salt and pepper. If I have to eat something disgusting, I want something to pep it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. And maybe some cologne. Splash of brute. Something like that, just nice. to keep it fresh. Nice. Old Spice. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you want to make yourself feel good. Yeah, of course. Well, I, I was originally going to say that between us, we've got the ultimate kit bag, guaranteed to get you through any tight spot, but I mm. think we've got the shittest kit bag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'd make it to the end of my road, to be honest. No, you wouldn't. No, no, I, don't no. think I, I wouldn't make it to yours, Luke, to like team no, up with you. That's right. Matt, and Matt, for everybody, lives 30 seconds from me. <laughs> yeah. 30 second two, walk yeah. as well. 30 Not second walk, <laughs> yeah. I'd get there. I've got some Snickers. They're going to be gone in a day. They're not too tempting. Delicious. Well, yeah, just, you know, you've got to ration stuff out. (laughs) You want something with sustenance, but that isn't delicious. (laughs) Well, like a pot noodle. (laughs) (laughs) Like a pot noodle? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The shit idea, pot noodle. (laughs) You need things to go with it. Soy sauce. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, wonderful. So soy sauce is your saviour, Matt, which I love. <laughs> Sticking with it. Yep. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for your question, Vicky. Yes, and thanks, please Vicky. let us know what's in your go bag. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we can get some fucking ideas. Yeah, yeah <laughs> thanks, because Vicky. some decent We're ideas. Done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the supermarket, our crew have a fun-filled trip up to Manchester. And I'm starting off with the moment where they siphon off some petrol from the abandoned petrol truck that they find. Mm. I think it's significant for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Jim makes it inside the restaurant to look for those cheeseburgers. Yeah. yeah and the well. devastation he encounters is horrific. Christ only knows what it smells like in there, but he covers his mouth straight away. Yeah. yeah. There are bodies on the ground. Most shockingly of all, a dead baby. Yeah, yeah horrible. It really hammers home the absolute annihilation of the human race and mm. that the virus will just take no prisoners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Jim here has to face up to what Celine has been telling him about all along, to act without hesitation, mm. even if it's a 10-year-old boy that he has to take down. Yeah. yeah. And that's the grim reality of Jim's life now. Mm. The world has completely changed, and this is the moment where he really realises it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from Hannah's point of view, her driving the taxi sets up the end when she drives everyone to safety. Yes. Does, yeah. And I don't think it's that obvious. I think it's quite subtly written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not the, do you remember that she can drive very, very niftily? So, mm. you know, that's going to come out. It's not going to be a surprise at the end. No. I don't think it's that that much of a hammer blow. No, because it's something Frank would teach her in this scenario. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, Completely exactly. It highlights that Hannah is just a kid herself. She's arsing around in the car, yeah. but she's had a lot of grown up to do. Yeah. She's been through an ordeal with losing her mother. So I think this scene highlights the huge upheaval in these characters without the need to really spell it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like the scene. What I love, though, is when they're going down the motorway for those empty shots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really evocative. And I know to do those, the police control traffic in both directions and were gradually slowing it down so Boyle could capture literally just a few shots here and there before traffic would become visible. So, again, mm -hmm. he got those 10 cameras different positions along the motorway and then totally use about 60 seconds of footage for it. It looks as though the entirety of England it really is deserted. Does. It really does. It does, yeah. Like when they see Manchester on fire. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's, yeah, yeah, that oh, shot's yeah. unbelievable. That's it's great. Yeah. Oh, that's where we're mm -hmm. going. Oh, yeah. for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's our destination. Yeah. It's on yeah. fucking yeah. fire. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Let's turn around. <laughs> There's almost a serenity to the those scenes on the motorway as well, with the dreamlike music playing in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like hanging out the windows and yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we've had the light relief, so mm -hmm. it, it gets grim because when they get to that old post and it's deserted and it's the build up to Frank's death, it's just oh, yeah. so gutting because poor Frank, he was so desperate for this to be their salvation. It it was the thing yes. he was pinning all his hopes on. So when it looks like it's been abandoned and the message is just on a loop and no one's actually there. I can barely watch the scene because he just unravels so badly, so quickly, <sighs> you know. When Selena, her survival instincts kick in, we should go. And his reply is the first time he's properly lost it with anyone. Go fucking where? Yeah. yeah. You know, and he's a big guy, Brendan Gleeson, you know. You know, oh, if, yeah. if he lost his temper, you think, fuck. He's been the most upbeat and most positive character, so to see him defeated like this, it's just heartbreaking. And it's even when he starts yelling at that crow, get out of it. He's saying that because it's pecking on a corpse, and Frank is such mm -hmm. a decent guy. He wants that corpse to have a bit of dignity in death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. why he lashes out, and obviously, because it's angry, but just when the infected blood drops in his eye from it. Oh, like, it's devastating. It's devastating. I mean, we all love Gleason, like we've said, and he's great in this as well, but it's when he addresses Hannah, you know, sorry, I lost my temper. I love you. Because mm -hmm. he knows he's got seconds. 
seconds before he turns, <laughs> and he doesn't want Hannah's last memory of her dad when he was still dad to be with mm-hmm. him yelling at people. It's yeah. absolutely heartbreaking, this. And then put yourself in Jim's position, you know, Selena screaming, kill him, kill him, because she's protecting Hannah. He's the one with the baseball bat. But it's this guy who, when you you called him dad in your sleep in that earlier scene, mm-hmm. you called mm-hmm. him dad. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and Gleason has that aura about him. Yeah. And then you just get bam, 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 bam. And then just, where are these shots coming from? Who are these guys? What's going on mm-hmm. now? Yeah. And obviously, yeah. it's ultimately a mercy killing for Frank, but this film is so good at punching you in the gut and making you feel the impact when a character gets killed. It's yeah. devastating, this scene. The film changes in an, in an instant yeah. right here. Yeah. I'll go from the continuation of this, because when I first saw it, I thought, okay, we're going to different places now, and it was before you would definitely know for a fact that, oh, the dead aren't the people who you should be afraid of. The infected aren't the people you should be afraid of. It's human beings and what human beings will do to each other. And I mean, that's yeah. been highlighted in every single zombie film since this yeah. to like even the walking dead. That's all that's about by the end of that. Yeah. It wasn't even about the zombies anymore. No. It was about what people would be <laughs> capable of doing to yeah. each other. Yeah. But this came out of left field for me when I first saw it. And mm. it kind of still does. You still have that little bit of hope. And I think Eccleston is absolutely brilliant in this. Yeah. Really he nice. plays he that part really so like well, yeah. so commanding on the screen. Mm-hmm. And you see him, and every time I see him, I do, I, even now, I still feel this relief. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy's got command over these people that mm-hmm. are obviously very capable. They put Frank down and they didn't, maybe they didn't want to. You don't get a lot of dialogue from them. And they seem like they've got everything under control. There's a gun mounted there. There's, there's defenses. There's a flag. There's a big house. You just think, right, well, I'm, I'm going to get looked after here. Solace. Yeah. yeah. Soldiers, you know, yeah. people that you trust, right? Yeah. This is a British army, right? Okay, we're yeah. going to be all right. But there's still this sense of mm. foreboding. There's still this underlying tension that Boyle kind of seems to bring to the whole sequence. And I think it's just because of the soldiers. And when you see it the second time, it does bring a completely different vibe to it, the way they're just looking side-eyed at each other. Yeah. Don't yeah. nobody say anything. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck this up. Leave it to West. He's coming out. He's going to, you know, tell everybody what the crack is. He's going to run the show. And these guys, I mean, the way that the cast and the way that they're played through and the way that they're directed as the soldiers, I mean, they, they are so British. They are yeah, so they are. British. Yeah, soldiers. so Larry. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah anywhere yeah. you go, if you're not from the United Kingdom, but if you come over here and go out for a night out anywhere, <laughs> yeah. this is a stag do. Yes. Yes. All of these lads, they'll probably be dressed like soldiers as well. Yeah. Like, oh, did you fucking see that? Jesus yeah. fucking. Yeah. And it's just this big bulge to it. And on this on second view, when it's it's painfully obvious, but when you first watch it, it, there is this element of solace, and there is this element of right. Well, they're going to all come together, and it's going to be all the infected coming, and they're all going to mm. have to fight them off, and they're all going to kind of team up, and that's kind of how you think. But it spins a different way. But it's mm-hmm. the use of du- Dutch angles here that shows something just yeah. isn't quite right. Yeah, there's yeah. the pace to the editing that shows something isn't quite right, and just the ominous tone that comes across, just very very subtly. I think it's excellently done by Boyle, but it's Eccleston for me that shines here. He's he's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising to see him in this role because, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Ferguson, I look at him as, you know, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a good yeah. guy, yeah. He should be yeah. a nice guy. Yeah. He shouldn't be like this. Yeah, yeah. And that spin is uh, is unexpected. Mm-hmm. Outside the compound, when um, Jim and Selena are taken in, there's a sculpture and it's called Leo Kawan and his sons. It's got, it's a, it's a guy covered with serpents. Right. Yes. Yeah. In mythology, Leoka once said, I fear the Greeks even bearing gifts, which right. taps into kind of right. like the Trojan horse story. Yeah, he warned Troy. Them about Troy, yeah. Right, yeah. 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 So this whole compound could be seen as a Trojan horse offering solace on the outside yeah. with unspeakable acts on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. I really, really like that. Mm. 
So Jim, Selena and Hannah have seemingly found safety, but the infected aren't the only monsters out there. Nope. The crew. A tight-knit crew on 28 Days Later. We're firstly talking about Alex Garland and his screenplay. Mm. Yeah. Matt, yeah. what do you think of the writing on the film? I think what Garland does really well is nail the initial concept. Like that idea of waking up to find wherever you live completely abandoned. That's mm. a terrifying concept. And I think he exploits that really well. So it's mm-hmm. like a lot of the details we've mentioned. The end is well and truly fucking nigh. Witness graffiti on a church wall. The missing mm-hmm. fly is put up on the wall. All that really resonates because I think it does tap into what the world was like in 2002. As we've mentioned, 9-11 happened during the making of this. Yeah. So yeah. it had a lot more unintentional relevance because the world felt substantially scarier after that date. Mm-hmm. And you looked at that and you're thinking, the world is being turned upside down. Where does all this rage and hatred come from? And I think it yeah. does a really good job of tapping into that. And he does manage to make it feel like no one's done this ID before, even though they definitely have, which we'll mention in a bit. What I don't think he does as well, though, is develop it much beyond that. And I think he does create some issues in the writing. Like, we'll talk about the yeah. ending when we get there. But there are definite plot holes. And I'll just focus on one because the title of this film is really snappy. It grabs your attention. Oh, 28 days later, what, what's happened in the 28 days? Brilliant. But I've crunched the numbers on it. Right, so okay. here we oh, go. brilliant. Stat man. Stat man. Stat man. Here we go. Stat man. So, <laughs> the blade. The bl- <laughs> Machete man. Here we go. <laughs> Cutting through the bullshit. <laughs> no, so back in 2001, the population of the UK was about 59 million. And according okay. to the film, it's on the post-it, they don't start evacuation until day 15. Yes. And obviously, a lot of people are dead, a lot of people are infected, but still, that's roughly 4.5 million people per day being evacuated. Mm. That breaks down to about 187,000 per hour. You're not okay. getting that many people off per hour from the country. No. It's exactly. not believable, no. is it? It's not Tory believable. statistics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a kind of, it doesn't overly bother me. It doesn't take me out of the film, but I think it's just a good example of the issues with the right, and it's like superficial, great, and it grabs you but you can pull it apart quite easily and there's logic holes in it. And I think like mm. if a film is like running a race, but everyone has to cross the line at the same time, it's like Danny Boyle has Alex Garland on his shoulders to get him over the finishing line. <laughs> I think he's really... You're coming with me. You're coming with yeah. me. I'll get you over there. So that's yeah. a script. It's got really great building blocks, but I think it's the direction that really elevates the script. I'm the same with that. Yeah, I think Alex Garland's a real talent. I think from mm. what he can see, I think yeah, he kind of much. sees it of the future a little bit further than other people do. I think mm-hmm. he's, he's predicting these things and nails it. Well, nails half of it really, really mm-hmm. well. I think the first half of the film is unprecedented in how well that's that's mm. captured or how well that's predicted because we've all seen it and it's spot on, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. spot on. And I think he does the same thing with like Ex Machina. Yeah. I think we're going to watch that in 20 years and go, he, he's fucking ahead of his time with AI. Like yeah. everything, totally. everyone's got these now, totally. you know, and he's got that kind of look. But I think like Matt said, it does feel like he's taking his time with the, with the premise but there's just not as much research put into the content all the way through. Mm. I think the first half of the script's perfect. And then he's like, oh, well, what if we just did this? And you're kind of moving away from what built the first half of the film in the first place was that wideness, but still claustrophobia, that wonder that, you know, the reveal the mystery. I think it all just comes and slaps you in the face. The, all the exposition mm-hmm. in the second half is like, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. We need to do this, this, and this, and that's it. Mm-hmm. 
you're fairly safe now. And it's again, it's quite a letdown for the audience to think I was, you know, in suspense for this half. Where's it going? Manchester's on fire. Yeah. London's completely deserted. Everybody's mm-hmm. dead. What are we going to do? You know, and it could have gone anywhere. And I think it's kind of the easy approach to then, oh, we're going to address the human condition in this whole situation and just concentrate on that for the last half of the film. And I think that's kind of where the writing lets it down, which we'll go into when we talk about the end of the film. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's incredible, incredible concept, incredible vision. But content, it just I think you just needed like maybe another year just to sit with yeah. it and make it something really special. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, it's Danny Boyle. Yeah. I can't argue. But I, I'm just surprised that he would take this this script mm. and this third act. I'm surprised that he wouldn't make any changes to the to that third act. Yeah. I'd probably have the same issues as you. I think he probably just got really excited, so excited about by the that first two acts. For the first two acts. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. he, he probably got a bit blind to it, like, well, fix it in post, or Alex will come yeah. up with something else near the time. And by yeah. the time he gets it, ah, oh, well, that's what we're going with then. Okay. Well, I think because Alex Garland's concept is so strong and simple in many ways, he knows he's got a great director on board as well. Yeah. So he doesn't really need to fill it with unnecessary frills. No, no. It's very lean script, mm. very little in the way of backstory. But the backstory we get with Jim is so affecting. You don't yeah. really need any more than that. Yeah. I think Garland has created characters that are very relatable. Mm. And it's difficult to know where the line is drawn because... He's obviously created the characters, but how much involvement has Danny Boyle got in that and the actors? Yeah. Before the virus, these were normal people going about their normal lives. And I think that puts you in the shoes of the main characters and you're questioning what you would do in this diabolical situation. Yeah. And I think that because they aren't played by action heroes either, that really helps reinforce the writing. Yeah, Yeah, it grounds it totally. It does. I maybe do have a little issue with the final third. It is a personal thing. It doesn't necessarily shift tones. It just shifts gears. It changes into a slightly different film. Mm. Yeah. When we get to the compound, it takes on a different meaning. And thematically, obviously, that's what Boyle and Garland went for. And, you know, people, some people like that, some people don't. But I would have preferred a different third and third act. Yeah. yeah. We may not be talking about the film now. Had the third act changed and to be more of a familiar straight, straight down the line zombie film. True. There's nothing wrong with the third act as such, mm. the, the way that it's written. I just, I don't like it for this film. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's, the opening so strong, isn't it? I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think if you look at the, the final, if someone showed you the final third and you hadn't seen the rest of the film, I think like, oh, God, wow. Yeah. That's intense. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you watch the whole mm-hmm. thing, you're like, ah, oh, I wish they'd kind of stayed on the road a bit. So it doesn't fit. Yeah. No. I don't think it, there's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't doesn't fit with this film yeah. or the yeah. first two acts. Because mm. what he's done so well, he's taken themes that are right in front of a face. You know, Ebola mm-hmm. virus, foot yeah. and mouth was massive late 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, road Strike rage. Strike and fear in the Road rage, the like you've said. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, shit, that's right in front of my face. I didn't yeah. say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And then in the last 30, he leans back on traditional concepts, yeah. on shit you've seen a million times. Yeah. For the screenplay, Garland took inspiration from two main sources. Around a year or two before he wrote it, he was playing the video game Resident Evil. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like Edgar Wright here. <laughs> he does, yes. Um, <laughs> he said that zombies hadn't been in popular culture for a while, and he thought to himself, the zombies themselves didn't pose much of a threat because they were slow moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Garland said the tension, I think, from the game did not come from the zombies themselves. It came from the fact that you didn't have many bullets to deal with them. So I thought, what mm-hmm, if the zombies right. moved as quickly as the dogs did? And the other source of inspiration is the John Wyndham novel, The Day of the Triffids, which was in oh, 1951. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. they adapted it to a movie in 1963, which sees the world 
overtaken by killer plants. And if you've seen the film, it's got a whole abandoned London opening. Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah, it's really effective. Right. Great, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've seen people, when we were asking for Twitter comments and mm. Twitter reviews for this film, yeah. I've seen people that it's it's very derivative yeah. of, of the Day of the, the Triffids. Triffids yeah. Not just inspiration, derivative of it. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Two strange sources of Resident Evil. Yeah, the day of the <laughs> yeah. that's where you get. The, that's where you Together get originality from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Steal so. from the best. I think we're all in agreement, though. Solid work from Alex Garland, mm. but to a point. Yes. Yeah. Next in the crew, we're talking about Anthony Dodd Mantle and his unique approach to cinematography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Westy, take it away. The cinematography in this, people are up in arms about it if you search for it. And it's just, mm-hmm. why does 28 Days Later look so shit? Why does it look so bad on me brand new 55-inch curved televisions? Because <laughs> yeah. it was, UHD. Yeah, because it's supposed to. And that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 8 million budget. And what they did was they shot it on a Canon XL1, which came out in 1998. Boy, did I want a Canon XL1 when it came out in 2000. Oh, God, that was just the dream to have a Canon XL1. Shot on mini DV video. It was what it was just the camera to get. And they came out, when they came out in 98, they were about £3,000 per camera. Right. And you're shooting mini DV, so you just load it. It's speed here, not necessarily mm-hmm. quality. So that's what he's going for. You can get a lot of cameras, you can load them quickly, you can shoot within seconds. If he's shooting 35 mil and he's trying to load 10 cameras on the bridge, yeah. you know, yeah. it's already not happen. Yeah, it's no. lunchtime. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it isn't going to happen. So it looks that way intentionally. And I think the genius of what Dodd Mantle brings to it is, like I've mentioned before, it's the use of composition. It doesn't matter how bad that or the quality of that image is. You look at the way them frames are composed and how and what's in that shot and how important that is visually. Yeah. And the movement of the cameras and how well that's done by Boyle and how they're working together with it. They know for a fact it's going to look like this. They wanted that documentary feel. They wanted that grungy feel. Again, it's down to necessity. It's down to creating something when you do have boundaries put up in front of you. You've got to break mm-hmm. their barriers down and say, how do we do this on this budget? At the time, it looked great. I remember going to cinema mm-hmm. and thinking it looked great. It's not down to Dodd Man. It's not his fault. It's not badly shot. It's shot yeah. like this on purpose. And once it's you know that- It's an artistic yeah, choice, isn't it? It really, really works. So it solves two problems at once. It's an artistic choice. And at the same time, it keeps the budget down and then cover it with 10 cameras. And yep. I think if you shot the whole film on 35 millimeter, it would not be as good. It would just be, mm-hmm. you would come out of the film. It'd be too glossy. Yeah. It'd be too clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, would. yeah. it wouldn't really work. You you feel like you're holding that camera and you're part mm-hmm. of it. And it's do. almost yeah. a documentary and that's where they get wrecked from. So, I mean, it is influential in yep. the way that it's done. So I think it's, like, it's really, really great work. It's balls that you do. It's using new technology at the time and it still pays off. I'm glad it looks shit. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matt, what are your thoughts on the cinematography? I really like it. I think it's got such a distinctive look to it. And yeah, it's divisive. And Dodd Mantley comes from the Dogme 95 movement, which is when he's working with people like Lars von Trier, mm-hmm. making those really gritty, unbelievably realistic looking dramas. And that's mm-hmm. what Boyle wanted. And he could have hired someone to give it a more straightforward look, but that's not what he wanted. And mm-hmm. even though it is everything that Westy says, it's still a very cinematic film. And I think Dodd Mandel does a lot of interesting things with the camera. You know, we've mentioned already a lot of Dutch angles, mm-hmm. which aren't necessarily in your face, but that add up to the disorientation like you feel throughout the film. You know, this very is on an angle and this doesn't feel quite right. And I think those opening London scenes with Jim, it would be so easy to cheat a bit and just keep it really tightly focused on Jim. So you could have people just a little bit out of shot. 
But yeah. no, they want to have really wide shots. They want to look really expansive, huge shots of London Bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he captures that so well. You know, the shots from way up on the tops of buildings looking down on Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great. They are great. So the composition is really interesting, really great. And I love some of the camera movement as well, like towards the end when West is hunting Jim at the barricade and the rain is lashing down. Yeah. And the way that camera just pans across Jim just stood stock still against the back of the jeep mm-hmm. when they take his move i love stuff like that so yeah the yeah. look the look of the film for me is really key to its success yeah yeah I, I totally agree with you my overriding feeling is that the the film is disgusting to look at <laughs> it looks like i don't know if you ever did it but it looks like an 80s tv show recorded on vhs yeah, yeah. at the yeah. time from tv yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. Looks, it looks like a taped episode of the young ones or something like <laughs> yes. that it looks horrible yeah but that's the entire point. It's supposed to be almost documentary style, mm-hmm. and that gets right under your skin. You yeah. really feel this film. Mm-hmm, you do. And if you look at it as well, I mean, all the conventions are there. All the rules are there. He's still mm-hmm. doing yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. what he needs to do. I mean, you look at the lighting on the London sequences. Mm-hmm. That's all sunlight, but he's backlit. He's separated yeah. mm-hmm. from the background, yeah. you know, where he needs to be. Even, like, it, it, the quality gets better. Once they're in the mansion mm-hmm. in the third act, which we're going to talk about now, the quality is far, far superior. The lighting's yeah, incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some really nice chiaroscuro. There's really nice shadows. There's really nice highlights. It's just very, very cleverly done. And it does get better as the film gets on, and I think that's intentional as well and really fucking hard to do. And, and they shooting with these kind of cameras, just loads of benefits. You shoot on the fly, no mm-hmm. traditional shot setup, and they're small, so they're able to get in tight spaces, employ those usual, unusual angles, mm-hmm, which yeah. add to the frantic nature of, of the, the infected and the narrative as well. Yeah, and yeah. It just it all thematically combines really well. Yeah. So Matt said it was still at that time an inferior quality imaging camera, but it had a shutter facility that I'd messed around with in America, which is what we're talking about, this frantic shutter. Mm-hmm. So Danny was fascinated by kind of brittle savage hectic ability that the digital shutter had to capture movement mm-hmm. you can create this demonic atmosphere by seeing all yeah. of the frames which yeah works really well yeah it's got this stop start motion yeah. to it. it happens all the time now people are mm-hmm. doing that left right yeah it center. does yeah. yeah fury road yeah yeah because i mentioned there dog mantle start off in the dog me 95 movement and one of those films mm-hmm. is festin from 1998 which Boyle had seen and was a huge fan of and he loved the camera work and he said there wasn't much lighting but it made you focus on the choice of how you use the camera and how you move it mm-hmm. so Boyle left a voice reel for Mantle who was in Copenhagen at the time because that's where they shot all these films asking to come out to see him but Mantle literally ignored it for a couple of weeks because he just thought it was his friends playing a joke on him pretending to be Danny Boyle oh nice great I think uh Eben Yaila who was also from Denmark mm-hmm. Did a similar thing when Stephen Frears called her for... Oh, for High Fidelity, High Fidelity yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's not phoning me. <laughs> I think big shout-outs should also go to Chris Gill on editing duties yes. and yeah. John Murphy, who provided the music, not to mention oh, the yeah. song choices. Yes. But Alex Garland's writing and Anthony Dodd-Mantle's cinematography stand above the crowd. Yes. Definitely. The end. The third act brings with it a tour of Major West's compound and a devastating reveal. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting off with Jim being introduced to the boys as resident zombie, Mela. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Those point of view shots that have been making his way through the dirty laundry yeah. are great because we've seen this point of view shot before, so we know what's coming. Only this one is chained up. Yeah. I think that's really effective. Yeah, it's really good. It's Jim's reaction as well. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> it hiding is, behind it. Is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When they first make it to the country house, there are two soldiers that open up the barricade to allow the car onto the premises. Yeah. Eagle-eyed viewers might notice that the actor playing one of the guards is the same guy who plays Mela. 
Right, right. Oh, of course. <laughs> a yeah. few scenes later, yeah. glaring continuity. Right, yes. I think it's chilling that they've got this looming threat outside mm. and they're too idiotic or egotistical to understand how much they put themselves in danger. Yeah. They think they're hard as nails and it becomes their undoing. Yeah. And there's something clockwork orangey about these guys. They're like Alex and his droogs, yeah, anarchic, yeah. anti-establishment, a bunch of brutes, no value for human life, arseholes. Yeah, really. dickheads. Well, all those army guys, they were put together in a side house on set and Ball did that because he thought it'll create camaraderie between them and also give them a touch of cabin fever by keeping them cooped up in one place. Yeah, I mean, that comes across in that dinner scene afterwards. Yeah. You can tell that there's just something very wrong with this group of idiots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my overwhelming feeling is that Jim, Selena, and Hannah just need to get out of this situation. They're in so much trouble. Yeah, it's awful. But you don't know what yet. Yeah. No, you don't know what, but you know they're just off. Mm -hmm. I'd prefer to take my chances with the infected than these pricks. Absolutely. The one person who appears to be the voice of reason is laughed at and ridiculed, so... We're completely mm. overpowered in this situation. Yeah. I don't even know if these guys are even soldiers. That's Possibly a good point. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really just found the uniforms. Not. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I think Major West is. Yeah, but I think he just gathered together a group of lads from the street yeah. and put them in uniform. On a stag do. On a stag do. Give them some guns. Yeah, they're awful, but really effective for what the oh, film yeah. sets oh, out to achieve. Yeah. Really yeah. effective. Yeah. yeah. I think Eccleston's really funny his reaction when he eats the off omelette. Yeah. Get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> Just spits it out. <laughs> Very good. Matt, what about you in this sequence? Yeah, it's like you say, there's something very obviously not right here. Even though mm-hmm. they've promised that, you know, there's a cure, male is the cure. That's not much for a cure. That's not going to no. stop the infection. Jesus. If you think that's the best thing they've got going for them, then you're right. Mm-hmm. They, they need to get out of there. And then you get the scene when the infected have tried to rush over towards the mansion and they've been blown up on the minefield. Mm-hmm. And Selena, whose who's instinct is always spot on, when she says, mm-hmm. let's get out of here, follow Selena. She knows what's yeah. up. Yes. Yeah. And she yeah. stood there with a machete out, ready for action. And the sordest thing, it's all just a big joke. Oh. And the comments start to go over the line and the behavior goes over line. Like say, there's one decent guy, Sergeant Farrell, but he's just shouted down and you get the standoff happening. What is going on here? What I don't know what's wrong with these guys, but something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then Major West, who like you, I trust Eccleston as an actor almost implicitly. He's a mm-hmm. good yes. guy. He's always a good guy. Mm-hmm. And you get that line and it's so throwaway. He just goes to one of the soldiers, slow down. Mm. And it's so quiet in the mix. And I remember at the time thinking, did I quite hear that? Did he say slow down? What, what's that about? Why is that significant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of my favorite lines of the film because it's just so innocuous as a phrase. So loaded. So loaded. So Robert Carlyle actually turned down the role of Major West that Chris Eccleston eventually played. Eccleston mm. worked with Boyle on Shallow Grave, which is his first feature. Mm-hmm. And Carlyle, as we know, was in 28 weeks later. He's in the sequel. Yeah, yes, I know. Yeah. It's a nice, a nice full circle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because then you get... That scene with Jim where he just takes him in for a drink and he just reveals what's going on. You know, he found mm-hmm. Jones with a gun in his mouth. So I promised them women because women mean a future. And it's like Wesley says, it's a very old horror trope that in these scenarios, mankind or humanity is actually worse than the threat itself. Yeah. But I think yes. it's just done so well here. And it's, yeah, the, it's the very definition of out of the frying pan and into the fire. Mm-hmm. And it does also cast that early scene when they pick them up. And one of them radios in, one male, two females. It's obviously something a soldier would probably say, but it gives that a little bit of a dual meaning. And, and yeah, so mm-hmm. hard to believe, but the film has got even darker now. Like, yeah, just in so much trouble now. 
Yeah, and it's the fact that they've got guns and yeah. they have more numbers and you yeah. can't fight mm -hmm. against yeah, that. Yeah. And they know that. And I think the way they use it is in a funny way and they start belittling people because of it. I think it's mm. it's a disgusting way to do it, but it is horribly believable, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, is. Effective it is. It is very effective. Yeah. Westy, what about you in this sequence? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still invested in the film up to this point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's getting there, right? Okay, this is where we're going. So Jim's led out with Farrell into the woods. I always have to go into the woods to shoot people. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do it yeah. anywhere just else. do it on site. Yeah, yeah just yeah. out the back. Throw them the mailer or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah mail or something. And then keep them all chimed yeah. and see how long it takes all of them to starve to death. Or something just a bit more clever. No, we'll walk them out of the woods, right? Here we'll go. Yeah. And this is where it just starts to feel like it's just paint by numbers and a little bit cliched at this mm. point. Mm. Arguing soldiers, well, you're going you're gonna to stab us? Is that what you're going to do? And you know, I've heard that a million times. And Jim's there and it's like, Mitchell's an absolute dickhead. Yeah. And it's just very convenient. The soldier just he drops his ass and then just shoots him. Mm. And he's mm -hmm. like, what are you trying to do? Shoot me. And he's pinning him down. Then Jim gets away. Right, okay. And then they're just, this is the point that you said, Look, like, are they soldiers? Because they're just shooting aimlessly into nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're not trained. They're not calm. They're not take, following any rules. They're just like, oh, that fucking, that'll do. And just shooting. And then it's just that horrible line that he does. He's over the wall. No vehicle and no shooter. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's Guy just, yeah. no, it's like a no shooter. You know, are they really soldiers or they're not? Yeah. They're not really kind of turns the screw a little bit. And it does become a little bit cliched from this point. It's where it kind of starts slipping for me at mm. this point. Mm. And you just go, right, okay, Jim's got away. This all seems very convenient. And the threat almost disappears. And I think that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. And you know, it's kind of, you know, by the numbers. Although I like the final sequence. Yeah. It is, you know, it's obvious what's going to happen. Yeah. So with Jim Free prowls the perimeter of the compound looking for the best way to attack and we're entering our final sequence. Mm -hmm. Westy, you're going to take it away. I'll take it away as Jim Rambo comes on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> First blood needs that knife that you're going to take with you, Luke, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's just loose on everybody and yeah. this guy hiding in the cupboard. Yeah. And you're all right, okay. But it just doesn't make much sense. Like Jim's outside watching all this happen. Mm -hmm. He knows Selena and Hannah are still in there, mm -hmm. but he's just let them all get infected and they're all running around. Mm -hmm. And it's just yeah. that, that you haven't got control over that at all. That's literally the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, yeah. How can he guarantee that yeah. Selena and Hannah won't be attacked? Yeah. He can't guarantee their safety at all. No. He doesn't know what's happened. He doesn't know where they are. Mm -hmm. No. He doesn't know how to get in, how to, what he's going to do. Yeah. He's got his clothes off for like 80% of the film. He's topless, mm -hmm. again, in the rain, freezing, right? He's not superhuman at this point, but he's painted up as superhuman. And I know I said when we're talking about Killian Murphy, it is believable. I mean, I get it. Mm -hmm. I can see his rage in this and how yeah. angry he is and obviously how that compares to the infected. Now he is pretty much uninfected anyway. Yes. And it, all that's missing at this point is him coming face to face with Mailer or coming face to face with an infected and them just letting them go because they're like, oh, he's the same as we he's are. He's one yeah. of us. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all it's missing at this point and that level of cliche. But it just it's just a bit silly. I love that kitchen attack. I think mm. that's really, really brilliant. That image with Mailer outside of the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really like yeah. that. Yeah. That's it's all really, really good and coming together. But I just think once this plays out, it's just too easy. It's just too safe. 
it just goes places where it's just very, very convenient from this point. Mm. He knows where all these like secret doors and shit are, and he's kind of just disappearing into different mm. parts yeah. of this mansion as if he's lived there, you know. And and it's just you've got to suspend belief a little bit. I think it's a little confusing to keep track of what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, you've got to just go. All right, this is the end of the film. Let's just yeah, listen so to the music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like that bit though when. Mitchell gets back to the house and like stops Selena leaving. He's like, "Oh, what's going on?" And then you yeah. just get that shot in the background with Jones running, screaming, like shrieking, like little yeah. girl, and the <laughs> inspector just follows past him. It, I yeah. do find that quite funny. That's yeah, that's a good shot. Yeah, I like the moment where Hannah hides behind the mirror. Oh, love that! Away yeah. from the zombie. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably her best moment. I think so. Very resourseful. Yeah, yeah it's really, really good. Really good. I like that. And I like the shots of Jim prowling around the grounds and moving like a panther. He takes on, like you were saying, Westy, the characteristics of the infected, understanding maybe that this is the only way to survive in this nightmarish situation. Mm. Yeah. And there's some sick satisfaction in this soldier dying in this most horrific way possible. Thumbs into the eyes. Oh, yeah. A classic zombie death. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of catharsis here because of the behavior of these guys. I mean, all three of us are just being completely angered by their behavior. Yeah. 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 What I don't care for is that Selena doesn't really follow through on her film long promise here. Mm. Yeah. She's battle hardened. She's tough. She's no mercy. She's striking at will. She just ends up a gibbering wreck and it's Jim who saves the day. Yeah. It's not Harris's fault or no. Murphy's fault. I just don't think the writing's particularly strong here. No. It doesn't follow through. Yeah. There's a real opportunity. There's there a wonderful is. blueprint here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's all just went, oh, we'll go the safe route, which mm-hmm. the film hasn't done up until this point. Yeah, I agree. So, Matt, you're going to bring it home? I'm going to bring it home. And I suspect, well, I'm going to try to bring it home better than the film brings the ending home. Like, we do have to talk about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Jim gets shot by West. He's in the back of the taxi, but he gets grabbed by the infected. So he's pulled out. Selena puts Jim in the taxi. Hannah floors it. You get this freeze frame. And then it's bam, 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 bam. I mean, rapid fire edits to say the least. Selena's saved Jim's life somehow. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not denying she has a good deal of medical knowledge. She's a chemist. We've seen that, but she's not a surgeon. Yeah. And yeah. now they're sheltering in a cottage and the infected is starving out, which I do like because that does tie back to what Major West suspected. Mm-hmm. We'll starve them out. So yeah. that works. That's fine. And leaving, you know, big messages on the hill to be picked up by passing planes. Again, I think that's plausible in that situation. If, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to send planes over, look, survives, that's fine. But that's a hell of a lot in a short amount of time. And you, you can't argue that it isn't anything other than just incredibly messy. And yes. it doesn't make a lot of sense. And this is where it has to be pointed out that they literally ran out of money on this film. Yeah. yeah. Because they were shooting it sequentially. They'd got to that freeze frame and that was it. The last penny was gone. Mm-hmm. They were so skint, you know, when Hannah is like revving up the taxi to barge through the gate and you get that trod in yeah. the chain. Yeah. yeah. Well, the stunt driver in the taxi said, you can't use a real chain that's going to cut through the car and injure us. So they had to make mm. something else, but they were that skint. You know what that chain is made out of? No. Horrible no. sweets. <laughs> <laughs> What? Dave, David Ryan, he was the art director. And at this point, they're just getting mates to chip in and help in the cancer. He said yeah. his friend on set, who he described as a pirate, he said, I can sort that. Maybe he literally molded together Haribo sweets, covered them in a copper spray. And that's that for that one shot. It's Haribo sweets. And David Bryan, that's ridiculous. it's ridiculous. Brilliant. David Bryan has said the padlock. I'm not sure it's either form or fudge. Jeez. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, it works it on screen. It does work yeah, for that exactly. shot. It, it works fine. Yeah, they're literally out of money. So they had to convince the studio, they had to show them what they'd done, said, we need some funds to get some kind of ending. And that's why it's so slapdash, because they did the first ending, which is quite different. They do get out of there. They get to the Mm -hmm. hospital, but Jim dies on the operating table. 
Yeah. So Selena and Hannah leave the hospital. Selena says, we just have to keep moving. And then they end up mm-hmm. in the cottage. But that tested like an absolute bomb. Everyone yeah, hated it. Yeah. So they've had to cobble something together of what they've got, which is why it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense that Selena has saved Jim's life. In the original ending, it does make sense, that footage, because she doesn't save his life. She's trying yeah. her best to yeah. do something, but it doesn't work. But in here... It yeah. just doesn't work at all. So it is unfortunately just a case of they ran out of money and they just had to couple together what they could to try to make some kind of ending work. Just tacked on. I think they were just terrified because of those test audience yeah. results from that original ending, which, I mean, it just went down like a fart in a space yeah. suit. Yeah. yeah. They hated yeah. it. Absolutely dire situation they're in. So they had that original scene that you mentioned, Matt, yeah. in the hospital with Jim dying. Yeah. Two others were shot and they're pretty much identical, save for Jim. The one is the one that we see in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the one that we see in the film, but Jim doesn't make yeah. it. Yeah. And the American release of the film, this ending, the original ending mm-hmm. that ends in the hospital with Jim dying, yeah. was left in as a post-credit sequence with the opening title reading "What If" before the scene played. Right. Now that just sounds like Clue to me. It does sound like Clue. Not pick your favorite ending. Yeah, does Jim live that or die? doesn't make no. sense. And then, like the tone of the film, completely obliterated with that. Well, well, if this didn't happen, then this could happen. That's such a weird decision, that isn't it? It really, really, really strange choice. Yeah. Finally, there was a drastically different scene written and storyboarded that changes the entire course of the third act. Mm. Once Frank, right, listen to this. Once Frank gets infected, he's tied up and he's taken to the hospital. They meet someone who informs them that they can conf- <laughs> they can perform a complete blood transfusion to save Frank. Jim volunteers, sacrificing his own life so Frank can be reunited with his daughter, Hannah. Boyle has since pointed out that within the laws of the 28 Days Later world, which there doesn't seem to be many in the third act, <laughs> this wouldn't be possible without bleaching all veins and arteries before performing the transfusion. Yeah. So there must be one molecule of infected in there. They couldn't take yeah. all of his blood no. out and no. then replace it with, some, <laughs> with all the Jim's blood. <laughs> yeah. And how quickly exactly change within 10 <laughs> yeah. seconds yeah. ludicrous idea yeah. with this final scene that we get in the film mm-hmm. they managed to get funding after they showed the film yeah. to the studio yeah and they cobbled this together tacked on mm-hmm. the end and they thought about getting a jet in there to to see the hello sign and a cgi jet would have cost around seventy thousand pounds which was much more than they had right. mm-hmm. boyle made a lot of phone calls and managed to get a real jet from nice over right and it was right. this scene was shot in the lake district and they did around five takes and each time the jet getting lower and lower to the water before pulling up to mm-hmm. avoid hitting the cliff right right and on the last attempt the jet got so low that water was sucked up in the slipstream of the plane and as it pulled up it hit a tree and the tree came crashing down branches came mm-hmm. tumbling down just missing the crew wow, wow. so unsafe a jet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't one of the branches hit Danny Boyle on the head? Well, he must have to decide that this was the, the well, right choice yeah, for the end. Yeah. yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Just just a weird way to end. Yeah. Tacked yeah. on. Yeah. 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 So we've reached the end with Hope and Jim, Selena and Hannah, a functioning, dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Reception and awards. As mentioned, early test screenings didn't go fantastically. Talking about one of them, Boyle said it was a disaster. They just walked out. They kept on going to the toilet. They kept talking. I remember thinking, fucking hell, it doesn't work. (laughs) But he was encouraged by an encounter he had with film critic Mark Kermode. Right. Or at least that's who Boyle thinks it was. His memory doesn't serve him right. He said it may have been another critic, one of those guys. But for argument's sake, let's say it's Kermode. Okay, makes sense. Boyle said he was walking through Soho. And Kermold came running out of a, a pizza hut and said to him, I've just seen your film. It's fucking great. Oh, well, there you go. So <laughs> he took a lot of heart from that. Yeah. Yeah. 
He meant he meant the beach, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he was right on an $8 million budget 28 days later, returned a big $84.6 million worldwide. Yep. Over half of that came from US audiences mm. who loved it. Yeah. yeah. And it was released in the States eight months after the UK release. Right. But it was hugely popular. Yeah. Stephen King was a huge fan. Yeah. On opening yeah. night, he bought around 800 tickets. Just <laughs> <laughs> doesn't what? want anyone sitting next to him, does he? <laughs> yeah. He loves uh, getting involved in... Um, low-budget horror films and seeing how great they are. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. King. he yeah. loves it. He does, yeah. Popular with audiences and with critics, Empire Magazine gave it a very positive four out of five review, saying the best purely British horror science fiction film in decades mm-hmm. and the first great apocalypse movie of the new millennium. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Ebert, what do you think? He scored the film out of four chaps. Three. Ooh, two. Westy, you're on the money. He said 28 Days Later is a tough, smart, ingenious movie that leads its characters into situations where everything depends on their and our understanding of human nature. Mm. Yeah. But the AV Club said, Later does a lot of things right, which makes its third act missteps even more frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 28 Days Later didn't pick up any major awards, of course, yeah. but it did win a smattering of low-key awards, including the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film and the Empire Best British Film Award. Yeah. Not too bad. No. And now it has 87% on Rotten Tomatoes and an IMDb score of 7.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. So a solid performance on all fronts for 28 days later. Opinions that are pretty much still held to this day. Yeah. 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 Sequels and influence. The success of 28 days later created a boom in the zombie subgenre, which had long laid dormant. Mm. Shaun of the Dead came a few years later. I Am Legend followed, as did the Dawn of the Dead remake, Zombieland, mm-hmm. World War Z, and the hugely successful The Walking Dead mm-hmm. was a small screen sensation. Yep. yep. Still going strong as well. Various offshoots. Yeah, Various spin-off. offshoots, yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of those are a huge debt of gratitude to 28 Days Later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it has been lost a bit. This film, hugely influential. I think the landscape would look very differently without oh, it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. Success on that scale brings with it an inevitable sequel. Mm-hmm. 28 weeks later was released in 2007. Danny Boyle was exec producer on the film and personally handpicked Juan Carlos Fresnadillo mm. to direct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having loved his 2001 thriller Intacto. Yes, that was a good film. Alex Garland also helped with rewrites, so there is a continuity mm. in the filmmaking process. But how does it hold up, Westy? Your thoughts on 28 weeks later? I mean, it's grim as arseholes, isn't it? Let's be- <laughs> <laughs> it is bleak. It is really, really bleak. And I think what they're doing 28 weeks later is they take that idea of anyone is now fair game to mm. die. And what they do is they cast people in that role where you think, oh, that person's definitely not going to. Yeah, you know, yeah. Jeremy Renner's in there. Yeah. You've mm-hmm. got... Carlisle's in there. Yeah. Roseburn. Roseburn's Rose Burn. in there. Yeah. Every, everyone's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. we recognize these people. Yes. And it just uses that as a real sucker punch. Yeah. And I'll still stand by the opening of this film is one of the best openings of any film I've ever seen. It's absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's very, very similar to um, Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. It's got yeah. that mm-hmm. kind of vibe where it's just, Jesus Christ, it's kicking off. And you get, you know, Carlisle's character across straight away. What an arsehole. Yeah. Oh, oh, horrible. 
mm. the, the yeah. way that's painted as well it just mm. it sets the whole film up if you don't that's like really well written yeah if you don't like the opening of this don't watch the rest of it no like it's not as good as 28 days later for an opening that really sets the tone but it's the, this tone that it does set is a completely different take yeah, but it is. yeah i mean i really enjoy it i think it's a great film really ballsy and yeah i think it kind of advances on the first one yeah, yeah, I very much like it. Um, it does what all great sequels do for me. It expands on the idea of the original without losing sight of the concept while also not making a carbon copy. Yeah. I think the cast are great. I think Imogen Poots and Robert Carlyle are standouts. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't crazy about the emphasis on Carlyle's character after he becomes infected that he manages to evade all the attacks yeah. Yeah. and makes it to the end to attack his children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not blown away by the writing there, but as horror movie sequels go, I think it's it is one of the best around. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I like it a lot. I think we did a Patreon episode a few months ago, didn't we? And asked the question, "What are underrated sequels?" And mm-hmm. I think both me and Wesley had this on our list of those. Yep. I mean, yeah, essentially it's the same thing, isn't it? But on a slightly bigger scale, different characters, mm-hmm. but it keeps that edge, it keeps that ferocity. Oh yeah. That form I've seen the beginning, oh my God, abandoning his wife like that. Jesus Christ, oh. that's an opening. Mm-hmm. And one thing it does have over this one, it keeps that going right to the end. You know, 28 mm-hmm. days later, somewhat of a happy ending, which is a bit, uh, this one, unbelievably bleak. Basically says, nah, we're all fucked. Sorry, no one's yeah. getting out of this. Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's Paris. All yeah, there's right, Paris. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. Cheers. Goodbye, you. Jeremy Renner pushing that car. Oh, oh he gets God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a hero. Yeah. As mentioned in the years since, there have been a comic book series and a graphic novel bridging the gap between 28 Days and Weeks. In recent months, talk of a third film in the 28 mm. Days world has intensified. In the past, Killian Murphy suggested that he'd be interested to reprise the role of Jim, but also said that he'd be too old for a 28 months later story. Yeah. Alex Garland has actually written a script for a third part, and Boyle loves it, and okay. said in an interview that he'd be interested in directing if Garland didn't want to take the reins himself. Right. Imogen Poots has expressed a desire to reprise her role from the sequel as well, so there is hope for maybe a 28 years later sometime in the future. Right. Okay. Yeah, I know Killian Murphy said he was up for it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Let's, get it, let's get it done. Yeah. yeah what are we not? waiting for? Get yeah. it done. Yeah. We've got some pull. We'll somehow be even bleaker. Don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> and if it lives up to the previous two installments, the 28 Days universe could establish itself as a bona fide horror movie trilogy classic. Really could. Yeah. yeah. All the right movies ranking. We've finally reached the end. We can hear the jet rumbling towards us. Yep. Before we get picked up, it's now time to summarise our thoughts and give the film a score out of 10. Mm. Westy, over to you. Okay. It's been a difficult one for me to rank this because it's mm. such an influential film. It's such an important film because of the way it was made and the budget that it made and the money that it made back. And a lot of people really adore this. And I really yes. adore it. I really mm. love it. I loved the film when I first saw it and I love watching it again. But it does peter off for me at the end. And I think that's more because I just I love the spectacle of it. I love what it achieved. Mm. I loved watching it again going, yeah, this can never happen again. And it's almost mm. like a novelty thing for me than it is yeah. like a film where I go, this movie from start to finish is brilliant. And I love yeah. it. It's not like Apocalypse Now where I look at that and go, whoa, that's a film. that start like The Shining, you know what I mean? Yeah. Godfather. Yeah. You're just like, mm-hmm. look, it, it, this has got some incredible, incredible work in it. And it two incredible acts. And one that, unfortunately peter's into cliche and predictability so that's got to lose points for me yeah. it's got if it was just the first hour of this film it's a 10 yeah mm-hmm. all day 
no problem. But the last, say, you know, 53 minutes, bring it down a couple of notches for me. I do love it. I'm not saying that it's a bad film at all. I will watch it till the cows come home. I do really, really enjoy mm-hmm. it. But that first hour is immaculate. Hmm. It gets let down after that. So my final ranking for this is going to be an 8.5. Still a decent score. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you, Matt? Well, when I put this one up, it wasn't because it's an all-time favourite of mine. I've always had issues with it, you know, even first view, and I thought one of the major casting choices doesn't work that well. Garland's mm-hmm. writing isn't great, it's quite thin. And the ending, like I say, even on first view, and I thought, well, that's a big old stuck together with super glue mess. I don't know what the hell mm-hmm. happened there. Yeah, bit of a cop out, really. It is a cop out, but it's one of those films that everything else about it is so good, I can happily overlook the flaws. You know, mm-hmm. Murphy, Harris, Gleason, Eccleston, all very good. I love the soundtrack, and it's just packed full of memorable, iconic moments. The abandoned London, Jim Fiden as parents. Yeah. I do love that kind of final descent into madness in the house where it's just all kicking off. Mm-hmm. The concept is so brilliantly executed in those first two thirds, and Boyle gives the whole film a real ferocity. And the sad thing is it could have been an absolute masterpiece with a it bit more been, time, yeah. a bit more yeah. money, a bit more focus for Megan Burns, I think, to help support her in her role. A bit more thought in the writing, but it's not quite there. But then having said that, it's just the type of horror we don't traditionally produce or do well in this country. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like I said, it's Boyle doing what he does so well, which is producing something that has the intensity and the sweep of a Hollywood film, but without sanding off the edges to make it acceptable. And yeah, you just can't deny how influential it's been. So it definitely does lose marks for its flaws. But it does get an extra mark for me because of how influential it's been. So that takes us up to a nine. Nine. Mm, right, yeah. Nine, a very good score. Mm. For me, it's been a, a very nice surprise revisiting this film. I hadn't seen it in a while. Mm. And it's really brought home to me how important a film it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not saved in lives or anything like that. But in the confines of the genre mm-hmm. and pop culture, it's a massive film. Yeah, Running zombies are always a good thing for me. Two really good lead performances. Decent writing and I really think outstanding work from Danny Boyle. Yeah. Yeah. But on the negative side, I've mentioned my issues with Megan Burns as Hannah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I definitely prefer a different third act. Yeah. The shift just doesn't work out for me. Yeah. Mm. So that is bringing the film score down to an 8.5 from me also. Oh, fair one. Our fourth and final score for 28 Days Later comes from our wonderful Twitter followers. Mm. Yes. They've been scoring the film out of 10 in their hordes, but I'll hold back on that for the time being and hit you with some choice comments. Okay. okay. Scott Perdue, at Scott Perdue, was playing funny buggers by putting up a poster of the Sandra Bullock star of 28 Days. <laughs> oh, right. the, the prequel. said 7 yeah. out of 10. Yeah. Better than the original, but not great. <laughs> Very, Very good, good, Scott. Very good. good. Yeah. Very nice. None of us thought to get that in. Well done. Nope. Blue Tick Bellied Sneech at Licorice Bomb said, I went to the premiere, which was held in Queen's Film Theatre, Belfast. Oh. Very nice. The director and stars were in attendance, and as well as a Q&A, they mingled with the audience after the show. Nice. I went in not knowing anything about the film and was blown away by it. Lovely. Oh, great. Nice story. Very nice. Yeah. And how about this from Gary Deer at DK3009. Gary said, I vividly remember taking a girl on a date to see this, thinking it was a rom-com. Oops. Zom-com. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> he said, the opening 30 minutes or so terrified me so much that I had to look at the floor to avoid screaming. And then how about this? Then I had to drop her off in the middle of the woods. It traumatized me for days. <laughs> He did what? <laughs> did, did she live in the woods or did he just drop her off? No, was he just too scared? Wanted to get home? Is she not traumatised? <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Yes. So a very evocative story, Gary. Thank you very much. Wow. I hope she's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you checked on her? Yeah. You know, she's out there. She's over the fence. She's got no shooter. She's dead. Yeah. <laughs> no vehicle. No shooter. No shooter. She's over the wall. <laughs> so very positive, but a very unfavorable review comes from Astral Zombie at Astral Zombie 87, wow. okay. who said, cardboard cut out characters, manufactured emotions, obtuse plotline, unengaging monsters with no depth or angle, highly improbable ending where a skinny dude kills an entire military garrison, overly hammy soundtrack, use of thunder and lightning to help the drama. I rated zero out of ten. Judge Astral Zombie on that information, if you will, everyone. Don't think that's how obtuse is used in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting to the age now where I just don't even argue. That's absolutely yeah. fine. That's yeah. your opinion. So out of 10, fellas, what do you mm. think 28 days later average out of 10 on Twitter? Eight. I'd agree with that. It does have its detractors, so yeah, I'd go along with eight. Ooh, well, you are slightly off the pace on that one. Ooh. It got a very solid 8.5 out of oh. 10. Oh, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which means that overall, 28 days later, has a score of 34.5 out of 40. Not hmm. too bad, considering the negative comments. No, I think that's probably fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. You can see where 28 Days Later ranks against every single film that we've talked about on our show. Go to alltherightmovies.com forward slash leaderboard. Join us again on All The Right Movies in two weeks. John, (laughs) Matt and Westy are getting ready for a surprise when they talk about Arnold and Total Recall. A Mm. big surprise winner. Bound to be some fun to be had there, fellas. Oh, ridiculous. I've not seen it in quite some time. I don't believe it. Yeah, me and Matt, we're going to have to get what Aston Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that should be a good one. I mean, Arnold, you can't go wrong. Mars, no. you can't go wrong. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Michael Ironside, brilliant. Ironside. <laughs> yeah. Our most recent Patreon exclusive podcast, Double Feature, is on two classic Mel Brooks comedies, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. That came out last week, and it was a joy to revisit those two classics for sure. It really was. It yeah. was. Yeah. Definitely. Lots on that one. Lots yeah. of fun. Yeah. If you want to hear that episode, get yourselves over to Patreon, sign yourselves yeah. up, and, you know, it's a, it is a good laugh. And plus, yeah. you know, I've got five kids to feed. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you do want to listen to it, you can sign up immediately to become a director's chair to your Patreon supporter of All The Right Movies, and that and everything that we mentioned mm-hmm. at the top of the show, access to all of those podcasts, have you seen what films that we cover in the score that they get? That's yep. patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. Yes. If you don't want to do that, but you do want access to the archive, you can buy our podcast individually on our mm. website, alltherightmovies.com. Yep. And don't forget that if you are an ATRM patron or you do subscribe to us on Twitter, you can be part of our exclusive Twitter movie community, a very nice bunch of guys and gals talking movies. Mm-hmm. How could you say no to that? Yep. yep, always good. And for ATRM on a daily basis, we are all over social media. On Twitter, we are at ATWriteMovies. A whole range of movie content on there, behind-the-scenes images, clips, interviews, our making-of movie threads. Mm-hmm. Like our podcast, all of our thread info comes directly from cast and crew or is corroborated by at least three sources. So, nothing but the best. Nope. Keep checking back regularly for more. Yeah, yep. absolutely. On Instagram and threads, we are at all the underscore right movies. On TikTok, search at all the right movies. Join our Facebook group and join the lively discussions there. 
subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our videos. They go up every week and include the four strong ATRM team. Great stuff. So check it out if you haven't already. Yes, please do, guys. And if you like the podcast, we would love it if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars is probably the best rating to give us, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think I so. I mean, so. it's the easiest one to do. Yeah, It is. Yeah. Just yeah. click one button. You'll feel better for yourselves. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Wonderful. Just write great stuff or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love those guys. Yeah, fantastic. And our website is alltherightmovies.com. Loads to keep you going until the next show there. Yes. Definitely. And that is a wrap. We've made it out alive. Mm-hmm. We're off to raid the local supermarket in the hope of finding some irradiated apples. <laughs> While we do that, get your ass to Mars and don't forget to come back for Total Recall in two weeks. Yeah, I'll be on that with the blade. <laughs> I'll have a pot noodle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, you everyone. Bye. Soy sauce.